to the virus. The Ron and Fez Show starts... Now. Jay, listen. I didn't tell you this before, and I think I should tell you now. I love you. I mean, in the right way. I, 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 I think you're an amazing guy, and I, and I think I just love you. The lewd's kicked in, right? <sighs> the lewd's kicked in. Give me some credit, will you? The lewd's kicked in. Look, this has nothing to do with lewd's. It's just a... It's just a person saying to another person that I love you, okay? Thank you. 
It's the Ron and Fez show on a Friday. Book club today. We're going to talk about Albert Brooks' smashing success, 2030. We've got some people coming in, and we'll open up the phone lines for you. And a chance to win a signed copy of 2030, Albert Brooks' new book. I would consider that a family heirloom, much like the Bible was in Catholic families. Oh, yeah. This is something to be passed down generation to generation. Uh, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Look who's over here. It's Ray from uh, New York Funk Exchange. How you doing, Ray? Ronnie, Fez, what's up, guys? Hey, man. Just wanted to say happy Funk Friday. Looking forward to a good weekend for the New York Funk Exchange. What are you guys doing this weekend? Oh, God, we're just going to the beach, just going to party it up. Uh, a couple of the guys, Serena, Serena's out of the country right now, so we're all just taking a break. Where, where is she at? I don't know. She's uh, storming the beaches of Normandy. See, she's a mystery. That is, she's like a funk lady mystery. She'll be back in a few weeks, hopefully, and uh, hopefully she's still with us and not with some Italian band or somewhere else. Yeah, I'm sure you've got to always watch out for that. The old LSD, lead singer's disease. There's nothing you can do well, about it. Well, we'll be back in there one day soon. All right, my friend. Take care. This is Ray, New York Funk Exchange, keeping funk alive. There's only two people I really consider keeping funk alive, and that's Ray and, of course, Chris Stanley, the man who loves Funk Friday like no one else. Can't get enough of the funk. What is it about you and the funk? Makes you happy, Ron. It just... Uh, Puts a light on our lives on this beautiful Friday. And alliteration. It is. It is alliteration, and you can't beat that. <laughs> uh, I know you're always yelling, it's Thirsty Thursdays and trying to have a drink. Yeah, it's like the new Friday. Um, Lorenzo's got some bad news. Lorenzo, what's your Ichiban today? Yeah, it uh, looks like um, yesterday some poor guy fell off the stands at Texas Ranger Stadium. And it didn't look that bad, so the announcers actually laughed at him. And he ended up actually dying. Yeah, he, crazy. Well, when you fall 30 feet, I believe, uh, it's never a good thing. They're going to have to put some netting around that somewhere because that's the second time someone's fell. Uh, the guy gets killed, and former president George W. Bush was there at the time. Uh, but honestly, let's not blame this one on him. I know a lot of people are like, I wonder why Bush... No, don't, please. I don't know. I saw W... He had a big hand in that organization. Well, he did. He ran it for a while. He was minority owner and somehow running it. I don't know how he pulls that off. Much like he did with the United States of America. You don't need all the votes to run the damn show. Um, all right, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Uh, Peppy Hamburger, who's uh, my co-host today? Who's coming in? That is 
Tom Henderson. Now, what's the story with Tom Henderson? I think he's kind of like a nervous guy. Mm. Well, just a little bit. So he's a nervous guy. He's a guy with a lot of anxiety. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of overwhelming, I think, to him. You know, as we're going through these co-hosts, we're getting to meet each kind of part of the persona that makes up the entire person. Yeah, it's crazy. Incredibly fascinating. I, I really think that we should start and do this show in front of psychology students. That they should bring them in from Columbia. They should all be sitting here in white lab coats. They'd love it. They'd get out, get out of the lab for once. They would either love it or they'd start crying and run out and never come back and <laughs> say people can't be fixed. I'm now starting to believe people can't be fixed. At least the ones that don't want to be. Uh, great time at um, last night at Unmasked with Paul Provenza. Quite the character. I never uh, thought I'd have to make up this rule, but I don't know whether you should be smoking pot before Unmasked. We can have like drug screenings. The fine gentleman reeked of marijuana. Yeah. Uh, but very funny and incredibly smart guy. Oh, it was great. It was incredibly amazing. smart guy. Uh, do yourself a favor and follow the career of Mr. Paul Provenza. Without a doubt. I'm going to guess a libertarian who's uh, completely all about legalizing it. You don't think legal, li uh libertarian? I don't know. I think I'm just, just apathetic. <laughs> I, I, I think that anyone... <laughs> Well, yes. I think even libertarians can give up on it all, can't okay, they? I guess. I didn't say he was out there <laughs> flying the flag. Um, so many people ready to uh, call in for a uh, book club. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun here today. Uh, what time are we doing at 1 o'clock? Right around 1 o'clock, yep. 1 o'clock, and then we have another interview coming up with one of the craziest documentaries I've ever seen. That's Project Nim. And this is a true story. These, well, oddly enough, psychology people from Columbia, they took a... I want to say monkey, but they get mad at me and they say chimpanzee. But from now on, every time I say monkey, know that I mean chimpanzee. Because I don't, you know, I don't see, uh, you know, I'm not racist with this. They're all monkeys to me. So they take this baby chimpanzee, a.k.a. monkey, and say we're going to raise him as a child and make him part of a family and teach him language. They had people that could teach sign language. Um, but it was, you know, it's a, an excellent idea. Quite frankly, I'm fascinated by the idea. Oh, hell yeah. But it was the 70s. <laughs> and they were literally batshit crazy in those days. I guess shit was off the rails. <laughs> yeah. So what they did was uh, basically let other people just hang out with this chimpanzee <laughs> until he got, and when he was a baby, there's nothing cuter. Now, the woman, this fucking half-hippie woman who has him, you know, this ice storm 70s woman, is literally putting him up to the breast, treating him like a baby. Oh, He's sleeping with the other kids. 
there was no fucking real documentation other than we've got uh, a camera running. But it seemed to me that the people at the lab forgot about them, and they were just letting this weirdness go on. Oh. It got so fucking crazy, dude. It's the most insane documentary that you'll ever want to see. I mean, really, you could say this is a documentary about a chimpanzee, but it, it, it plays like this Terry Southern novel after a while. I mean, the absurdity is just insane. Where it goes on, where he travels. I'm not going to give too much away when I say this fucking monkey ends up smoking weed with deadheads. God damn. It's crazy. And here's the other thing about a chimpanzee. Everything can be going great. He's your friend. And then one day he just bites you as hard as, you, as he can. Chimpanzees are seven times stronger than a human. I don't want to hang out with that then. You could, and you could take a chimpanzee, hit him with a board, and not slow him down. You can't beat a chimpanzee in a fight. So if a, uh, a chimp turns and just starts acting like in their natural way of being, you're fucked. Oh, no. <laughs> now these assholes were paying zero attention to that. So of course all kinds of horrible shit takes place. It goes on the wildest fucking ride you could ever imagine. Now I saw this movie months ago. And after I say I go, I can't wait to get in there tomorrow. They stop everything in the screening room. You can't talk about this for three months. <laughs> I think I interviewed the director the next day. And we've had it sitting on ice for three months until yeah. it came out now. So we'll play that for you. Um... But it's 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 just seriously, it's cock fucking insane. It's just out of its mind. Sounds like lab experiments were like house parties in the seventies. They kind of were. They kind of were. Uh, because in those days, the professor can nail the fucking students. <laughs> you just see crazy shit going down in the seventies that everybody would be arrested for. Now they would have taken the chimpanzee. They would have taken the children. They would have put people in jail. But back then, it was just. Business as usual. It's a party. Uh, Kate, you're on the Run of Fest show. Hey, good morning, guys. I wanted to let you know that yesterday marked the one-year anniversary of some of my favorite Ron Bennington quotes. Um, but a year ago yesterday was the anniversary of the Philly duck boat crash. It's a duck and boat, lady. The duck boat. It's uh, a boat in the water. In the water. It's down in the water, lady. Come on. <laughs> So, I thought of you when I saw that on the news yesterday. All right, thanks for calling. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. By the way, you can follow us on 202Friends on Twitter. Where is that uh, piece of work that was sent to me today by Mr. Rob Cross? Nothing should be under a stack of papers. It should always be out in front of me. Uh, this comes to us... Um, I'm trying to think of the website because it's not on here. It's BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed's All right, BuzzFeed puts it up. The just 24 things that make Florida batshit crazy. <laughs> Florida has far surpassed California and Texas as being the craziest place. These are just headlines, uh, and we'll read them off because a lot of people are just falling into Florida now for you know the Casey Anthony trial. But I lived down there for years. And it's... Always like, just been... You know what? I, I used to think when I lived in Florida, you know what? I should go to Nicaragua for a while and just live peacefully. Chill out. <laughs> get out of this madness and get underneath a crazy regime. Panama seemed like a good idea. Uh, I'll just read off some of these. 
Report says Florida leads nation in taser associate, associated deaths. Just tasering the shit out of people. Uh, Florida woman Megan uh, Mariah Barnes causes two vehicle crash while shaving her bikini line. <laughs> Man says cocaine in his buttocks isn't his. He didn't know how it got there. It wasn't his. Woman finds boyfriend dead in cat door. Flood dumps record-breaking rain. Flood victims warn of alligators swimming in the streets. It's the road down there. It is. <laughs> Man tries to, to steal underground fence, steam mop, and beer. The combination. TV anchor impersonated officer. Chris Hansen. A uh, llama killer charged with violating probation. There's llamas in Florida? There used to be. <laughs> Trapper trying to catch elusive loose monkey gets death threats. Pistol packing mom waves gun at kids. Keep in line. Sex doll three, some man gets off. I guess one fake fucking doll is not enough. He's all man. Cat lady wins fights to keep 150 pets at home. Good for her. Strip club offers free flu shots. Roommate's argument over dog ends with human bites. Thong sporting pizza payer in Fort Pierce may have passed counterfeit cash. Women plans to sue after donkey attack. Oh. Mulberry mare attacked by living crossdresser. Man steals Miami-Dade buses, drives them on routes. <laughs> helpful, man. Largo man arrested for the 120th time. I guess we're not dealing with Rockefeller laws down there. It's free-for-all. Woman runs over boyfriend with car charged with murder. Boy, eight years old, arrested after school tantrums. And man uses machete to steal car in front of Walmart. Now, all these people ended up on the jury in the Casey Anthony trial. They were, these were the jurors. Oh. This was what they picked as jurors. Hope the bus route guy got on there. This goes on and on. There's another yeah, fucking there's 25 of these. <laughs> Boyfriend armed with broom. Are you ready to die? <laughs> Highlander. Man arrested after striking mom in the head with Polish sausage. By the way, this is how Leno makes his living. <laughs> it's just fucking crazy. Woman's hair burst into flame, causes house fires. Weight washers, demonstrators, uh, accused of shoplifting cupcakes in Publix. <laughs> they are just fucking crazy. Pink-clad pooch stolen from gay bar by man with Britney tattoo. What the fuck, man? This place is starting to sound fun now. Man trapped by a fallen water buffalo head. This is fucking Florida. These people get to be a state. 
And then they make a big deal about that you pay less taxes. You should have to pay more to live there. It's a privilege. They are fucking crazy in Florida. It's too much heat. It's too fucking hot down there. This is more ACs. All right, let's uh, bring in my new co-host today. Coming up a little bit, uh, we're going to have uh, Director James Marsh from Project NIM. Also, very, very excited about this. We will, in fact, uh, be doing our book club on uh, Albert Brooks's uh, best-selling book, 2030. A lot of people reading the book want to get involved in this 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. That comes up at 1 o'clock on the East. Uh, let's bring in my new co-host. Is it Hollywood Henderson? No, not Tom Henderson. Oh, just Tom Henderson. <laughs> well, Hollywood Henderson, though. That would have been great. <laughs> oh, no. Here comes Tom, and he's walking in as sad as sad can be. Oh. So, Tom, uh, you're embracing your anxiety and your sadness today? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. N- now, uh, what is the reason that you embrace sadness and anxiety? It's kind of a, an immersion therapy where just trying to face fears and the sadness head on. And just f- feeling everything I'm feeling. Just l- l- by, immer- to- by immersing yourself, would you like to bungee jump down the elevator shaft? No, I w- really would not want to do that at all. I wouldn't. The Is elevator's that- a nightmare anyway. Uh, the elevator already feels like a bungee jump. Yeah, it, uh, it might as well just be on the outside of the building with no doors or walls. By the way, coming up in just a little bit. The last shuttle launch of all time, uh, leaving Florida, and the people down there claim that they're going to be trying to throw baby alligators at it. <laughs> well, if we throw baby alligators at it, every time you go to a shuttle launch, somebody will say, "Don't just remind you Skinner," and you have to say, "No, everything just is reminding you of Skinner for no reason." Stop bringing up Skinner. I free bro a little bit though. You remember when the bird went down? Yes, I do. I remember. It was very sad, but we have to move on. So, you wanted to talk about anxieties and sadness today, Tom? Yeah, it's um just uh, the overwhelming uh, I have a generalized anxiety disorder which brings on depression and just a a fear and a feel of doom 24 hours a day. No, no relief for you at all, Tom. No, it's it goes on well into the night. Into the night. Now, is that where it gets the best? Is that where it's the most comfortable for you? No, that's uh, that's uh, one of the more bad moments. Mm. Well, why don't you go over some of the bad moments with us, Tom? Let's let's jump into it if that's what you want to do. You're you're trying to embrace it today. Right. So it's just, I think what happens is the anxiety is there so constant Uh with panic attacks that that leads to the depression. I think if the panic wasn't there, 
that the depression would go away with it. Are you panicking about being depressed? What feels better, panic or depression? Um, actually, depression feels better. Right. I'd rather be just sad right. than scared out of my wits. Are you scared of being sad? Um, or are you sad about being scared? I'm sad about being scared if I had to pick one out of those Good. two. You do have to pick. Everyone has to pick today. What about you, Hicks? Uh, scared. Scared? Sure. You're sad about being scared? Yeah. Sad okay. about being scared. <sighs> I wish I wasn't so scared. Uh, here's Dan. Dan, you're on Run Fuzz. Hey, buddy. Hey, Fuzzy. You sound great. Sound like a million bucks. Great show, buddy. Keep it up. This isn't Fez. It's Tom Henderson. Henderson. Tom Hollywood Henderson. Um, well, anything at all that you like to talk about, Tom, I'm up for. Well, there's just like um, something that goes along with the anxiety is just a constant feel of awkwardness. Mm-hmm. Of I guess that's uh, like social anxiety. I feel like any time, like walking on the sidewalk, people going by and everything, Mm -hmm. I totally have this feeling of just like being in everyone's way. I don't feel like part of the flow of of foot traffic. You don't feel like you're a human being walking. You feel like you're stopping the human beings. You're like a speed bump in life. Yeah, that, uh, and it just constantly feels like people are like, um, tailgating on me even walking where do you, I, do you kind of hit your brake lights a little bit you those kids wear those shoes now they have the little lights on the back maybe you could just you know just bang them every once in a while here's a, a little tip tom and i don't know why your therapist didn't tell you this how about walking faster um it doesn't matter if i'm walking faster or slower a lot of times i'll just if i feel like i'm getting bunched up on Mm-hmm. By people, I'll just walk over to the side of the sidewalk mm-hmm. and just let like a group pass. Where I can't eat, I can't stand like too many people around me. It feels like they're coming up on me. Okay, so that's a problem for you. People behind you is a problem. Yeah, yeah. Where it's uh, I don't, I don't. It just doesn't feel safe. I kind of like, kind of physically go inward, mm-hmm. and. Get nervous around that. All right, so this happens to you all the time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, constantly. I just... Uh, it, so that's the only anxiety you have. It's not so bad. No. That's I, not so bad. That's pretty good. No, I have a lot. I mean, Forward. I have the phobias, uh, elevators, airplanes, bridges, um, the awkwardness, the social anxiety. I feel crazy, like, sitting alone in, like, a diner or a restaurant. Mm-hmm. I've uh, actually, like, tried to sometimes, like, put on, like, a bit of a southern accent to make it just seem like I'm in from out of town on business. <laughs> and, like, that's why I'm eating alone, not that I don't have, you know, anyone to eat with. That way the waitress will go like this. Uh, yeah, the, the traveler wants some eggs. What, he's alone? No, 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 you don't understand. He's a traveler. He's here on business. I believe he's selling pelts. Yeah, I try. I will go into a place trying to look like a tourist, mm-hmm. like looking around and looking up at buildings, to uh, just so it just doesn't feel as awkward sitting there by myself eating alone. 
Why don't you uh, belly up to the counter? Um, that always feels like I'm in the the person behind the counter's way. I I just I, with waiters and waitresses, mm-hmm. I constantly feel like. Even though I'm paying to eat there and I'm leaving a tip, mm-hmm. I am just such a huge bother mm. to them. I'm one more table that they have to take care of. All right. Have you ever thought of uh, bringing the sports page in with you? No, I haven't done that. Or you could bring a notebook and pretend that you're doing a review. I'm going to order two entrees today. Don't ask me why. You'll read about it later. I think Steve Martin did that in The Lonely Guy. You are kind of Steve Martin in The Lonely Guy. I'm definitely lonely because I just, I'm awkward talking to people. Mm -hmm. I know this is sounding awkward too, this conversation. No, no. This sounds totally normal. But it's hard for me to like start conversations and I just, I get awkward ending conversations. You would think, like, saying goodbye would be it. I don't know why. It's just an awkward thing for me to wrap up a conversation with someone mm-hmm. and know that it's actually done. Right. Well, don't you feel like when the person says, all right, I'll talk to you later, it's done? Um, yeah, but I feel like I should have something to go along with that. I don't know whether it's some sort of... Salutation or something to sign off with. All right, let's try the restaurant thing where you're sitting down and I'll come over. I'll be the waitress. And uh, you can can just order for me. I'll have the uh, silver dollar pan. Sir, why don't we just wait until your whole party gets here? Um, I'm by myself. There won't be anyone else joining me. I'm sorry, but by your accent, you don't seem like you're from out of town. This is highly unusual. What kind of person are you? Someone who has to eat alone, doesn't have anyone to eat with. You don't have anyone to eat with? Well... (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. Let me get the Dominican busboys. They've never seen this before. See, that's what I picture happening... Who are you talking to? Oh, I'm sorry. We're still in scene. We're still in scene. So go ahead and order, sir. Uh, I'll have the silver dollar pancakes with a side of bacon and an iced tea. And uh, that'll be it. That'll do it for today. This conversation doesn't seem like it's over, sir. You seem like there's more you want to say. No, that was all I wanted to say. See, but you shouldn't have to say that's all I wanted to say. It should come a little bit more naturally between humans, and I just, I really don't feel human. Well, it's the way you said iced tea. I thought that you were going to add sugar with it or lemon. Oh, iced tea with lemon, please. Well, let's let's take it from the top. Okay. Um, what we have, sir? I'll have the silver dollar. Don't pa- rush me, please. It seems like you don't even understand. I have a lot of other people here. Well, when you get a chance. What's that supposed to mean? When, when you have a moment. Don't start pushing, sir. I'll call the police right now, and they will arrest you. 
I'd rather not get arrested just Seriously, having do breakfast. you feel like, what's the worst that could happen? That's why I'm trying to get a little weird here with you. None of these things that I bring up ever happen, do they? Well, the, the laughing thing with the busboys? It never happens. No, it doesn't happen, but it feels like that's what's going on in the kitchen after they leave they the table. They don't fucking speak English. They don't know anything. They just want to make money and take it back to some little village in, in Central America. They're working very hard, and they're happy to have you there. Yeah, I don't feel their happiness. I guess it's because I don't feel my own. <laughs> I don't feel their happiness either, tell you the truth. I just understand that, that they're working, and it's got to be like a good thing to be working. Now, what else bothers you, Tom? Well, if we want to stick with food. Sure. Let's make sure we take that all off there. I will never ask for a refill. Like If they ask me, if the waitress says, would you like more iced tea, that's fine. But I will never ask for a refill myself. Uh, like, like signal the waitress and say, hey. You've never tried that before? Like do the signal? Oh, no. I would never do that. Because what would happen? I just, it's, to me, I'm bothering that right. person. Let's just try it now. You finish your iced tea. Mm -hmm. And I'm coming back. And I'll ask you, I'll give you the fucking thing. Is there anything else I can do for you, sir? Would you like your check? Uh, could I get another iced tea, please? How much do you drink? I've never seen anyone. I've never seen a human being sit down and consume so much iced tea. I have a problem with that, too, where I think that everything that I'm eating or drinking is being looked at and pointed at. You know who else does that? Pat from Minaki. Well, he's a competitive eater. So are you, in your own way. You're just competing against yourself. Um, here's Alec in Los Angeles, California, home of the doors. <laughs> How are you doing, Ron Fez? You guys sound great today. Um, I was just uh, in uh, calling to basically says you can at least make it into work. That to me is enough. Like for some, like sometimes for me, just to walk in into people's doors is is horrifying. I mean, I've been working with uh, generalized anxiety disorder for a long time, and uh, but at the same time, does this ever make you feel time. better when you hear this, Tom? When you hear people saying it's not as some people are worse? Uh, no, it doesn't make because nobody's inside my head when. Oh, I think there's a lot of people in there. I really do, Tom. I think, I actually think Frank is in there somewhere, just dying to get out and have fun. Gotta be in there. All right, let's try the order thing again. All right, I'm going to ask for more iced tea in no, this let, one. Let, just hold the water. Now you're at lunch. What would you like, sir? Hi, could I get a uh, BLT? We don't have that. Oh, um, I'll just take a cheeseburger then. We don't have cheeseburgers. Take a look around. Name of this place is Lettuce Wraps. I guess I'll have the lettuce wraps. <laughs> a man eating lettuce wraps. <laughs> Would that ever happen to you? Um, it's it doesn't happen. No. Oh, I'm, oh no. I'm, the waitress getting. No, no. Th none of these. None of the things that I'm doing to you. I don't think you've ever had one experience like that. No, I mean, no. But it happens in my head. It's it's something I worry about, and I can't get get it out of there. No, you don't. don't don't worry about a thing. You're going to beat it after today, Tom. I have a real big feeling. Why don't you just sit down and uh, 
you know what? I'm going to find you that BLT. And you know why? Why is that? You're the best person ever. Best person ever. And I only know that because some of the busboys told me. Well, thank you for getting me the BLT. Why I do that? Would you please keep my dog on your lap? You know what BLT stands for? Bacon, lettuce, and tomato. Best living Tom. Best living Tom ever. All right, what else bothers you, Tom? Um, let's see. I will over uh, talking on the phone. Well, first of all, when the phone rings, mm-hmm. I jump right out of my skin. Oh, I'll I, remember that the next time I call you, Tom. I'll start and call you ninety times a day. So it, it just feels like it's going to be some horrible news, like something bad happened to my family or friends or something that it's just. It's going to be something really, really horrific. So I have, you know. So All right, let's let's try to bring that out, and I'll just be calling you. Okay, you make the phone noise. Ding a ling a ling. Wait a minute, Tom. That's the stupidest noise ever. Is it? <laughs> that's how your phone rings. That's how. Yeah, I get. That's how I think a phone rings. Um, do you have your phone with you, Tom? Yeah. I'll give it a call. I think I have Tom on here. But you know what? We'll uh So you so if the phone rings you immediately believe you're going to get bad news. Right. And yeah. I guess this has happened to you before, right? You know, it's like not enough to um to think that oh every call should be bad news. Right. But I guess it's happened, you know, it's happened a few times, but it just sticks with me. Oh, I'm sorry, Tom. I called your house phone. So your cat's probably going crazy right now. See, one of the things with Tom is that you have to have both. He's one of the few people who you can't reach him by cell because he turns his cell off when he gets home. Strange, Tom. So the number one, and I don't have another friend like this, that their number one thing is their house phone. And then when it does an answer, you have to... Dial the other number, the seven two seven six two six number. Oh God! Uh, what were you saying, Tom? Oh, and then also like um, a lot of times. All right, hold on. This is your. Now I don't hear ding a ling a ling. No, this is on vibrate. Why would you do that, Tom? When you know why I'm calling you. You know I'm calling you to hear what your phone sounds like, and you got it on vibrate. All right, let's forget it, and you just been called, and it'll be May. Let's see how you handle the bad news. Hi, Ron. What's up? Well, the phone didn't ring yet, Tom. Oh. You're freaking me out. All right, go ahead. Ding-a-ling-a-ling. <laughs> Hello? Hello, Tom. Yes? <laughs> it's, it's Ron. What's wrong? It's Flipper. It's our friend Flipper in Florida. What happened? Hold on, I gotta take another call right now. I'm gonna call you back. Could you tell me before you... Now just wait. Let the time and let all the pictures come in. Ding-a-ling-a-ling. Ding-a-ling-a-ling. Hello? Hello? Hello, Ron? It's not there. 
Poor Tom. See, and that'll have me, like, pacing the floor. Hold on, Tom. I have to take this immediately. You'll pace the floor when people start crying, say they have bad news about Flipper, and then don't call you back? Well, if I don't know what's going on, yeah, I won't be able to calm down. And I'll just carry the phone around in my hand. Mm. The cordless house phone. I'll just carry <laughs> that around in my hand. I haven't heard the word. I would use the word cordless house phone. Well, no, wait. My mom does. My mom uses it. All right, but you know, no one likes to get bad news on the phone, Tom. Right, yeah, but I think every call is going to be that. Well, that's because you're preparing yourself for what you really want, disaster. All right, what else, Tom? What else bothers you? Uh, with the phone, also, when I have to leave a message for somebody, mm-hmm. um, I will, like, if I have to leave a message, like, for a doctor or something, they give you, like, a list. Mm-hmm. Of you know, leave your name and number and what why you're calling. I will over explain stuff and like leave my number like three or four times so that I you know and slower and slower each time that I put it out there. So give an impression. Ready? Boop. Hi, this is Tom Henderson, and I I need to speak to the doctor. uh, it's Henderson, H-E-N-D-E-R-S-O-N, and my number is 727, blah, 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 and I'll do that like a couple of times. You'll leave a couple of different messages? No, well, I will call, if I don't hear back right away, I'll call again, but I'll leave like, it says leave your number, and I'll leave it like three times. And and then I can't wrap that up where I'll get all the information out there and then go, again, this is Tom Henderson. <laughs> all right, those uh, people are laughing at you. I know that they're replaying those and laughing at you. I don't think you're getting laughed at by the busboys, but I'm sure the receptionist is giggling at you. And then I, if I am calling, like, family or friends... Mm-hmm. And I'm not getting an answer. And I've tried like a like, let's say I call my brother and leave a message. Call my sister, leave a message. Yeah. And I don't get a call back right away. I immediately try to think of what I did wrong. All right. To, to the, why they're I'll, mad at me. All right. I'll call back and I'll be like, you left a message, right? Okay. Ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling. <laughs> Hello? Yeah, Tom? Yes. Yeah, this is Ron. Hey, Ron. That message you left me. Uh-huh. Did you put the phone up to your ass and fart? No, I did not. Then let me replay this for you. Hi, uh, this is Tom Henderson. <laughs> yeah, I would never do that to you, Ron. Well, I have it right here on my message. And I'm sending it to the police. Don't. I do like that your response to the police is always don't. <laughs> that I would never hit the police. If I could be completely innocent, I could be like reporting a uh, crime that I saw mm-hmm. and have helpful details. Right. And I would get so locked up. And talking in circles, speaking to the police. They that, arrest you. Yeah, I would be hauled downtown immediately. 
There is no way I could explain that I didn't have anything to do with the crime. Mm. No, that's for sure. I'd lock you up. I'd lock you up in a heartbeat. Well, if that's all your anxieties, then I think you're fine. No, I have others. I, th- there, no. To me, there should be some... I, it's just weird, just like so, just regular social interaction that other people seem to be able to handle so well. Mm-hmm. Like if I really need to talk to somebody and they're talking to someone else like at work, where I never know when to jump in. That's where you get the lurking. People say that you're a lurker. Yeah, yeah. And it's like I don't know where to find my and it's like if it's important and it's like something I need to know or information I need to pass along right away I don't know where to jump in there but let's just like you want to join in on conversations right right yeah um all right me and Chris will be uh talking right now and you just jump in because you know us right right it's for years yeah I'm telling you right now, Chris, those Yankees, they're not going to make it this year. Red Sox are right on their ass. Oh, that's some horse shit, because fucking they're going to blow up in the later part of the season. Not going to happen. What, but what are you basing this on? What are you basing this on at all? Your own hopes and dreams? So much? Sure, I'll throw that in there. Yeah. How long do you think before well, Jeter gets his me, we're, we're next hit? Here, we're having a conversation. What's Where did you even come from? How did you get up here? How did you silo up here so quietly? I just walked up. Did you? I came around the corner up the staircase. What are you, fucking wearing a wire right now? You seem like a narc. I don't like this. Lift your shirt, Tom. Let's see. I'd rather not. Yeah, because there's a fucking wire there, isn't there? No, I just don't like uh, no. not having a shirt on. No, here's the thing. Are you interested in Jeter? No, I was just going to try to jump in the conversation. But why would you? Why would you want to get into a conversation that doesn't interest you? Now, if we were, you know what I'm saying? Like that, I now if I came up and two people were talking like that, I would be like, "Well, these guys are fucking idiots. They're talking about baseball. I don't care about them. I'll move along and find someone who's talking about anxieties." Enjoy it. But we'll start talking about anxieties, and then you'll feel a little more comfortable. Okay. I don't know what it is, Pepper, but a lot of times when I go into a restaurant, I try to act like I'm French so that those people will think that I'm here getting a medal from the president. Have you ever done something like that? Um, yeah, once I put on a German accent. But also, sometimes I think they talk about me when I... I also bring my own iced tea from home so I don't have to ask them for anything. I hate to ask for refills, Why do you got to top everybody, Tom? God. Jesus. God. Jesus. <sighs> now, I was just commiserating with you. Oh, don't use words you know I don't understand, Tom. Tommy vocabulary. Hoity. Coming in here, acting like he's better than everyone else. Hoity toity Tom. Waltzing now, around here. Now, by the way, does that happen to you? What I just did? No, that no, doesn't, it doesn't happen. happen. No. But these things don't happen. The th- you're afraid of things that don't happen. No, but to me, that's like trying to jump into like a speeding jump rope. <laughs> what? What's the speeding jump rope? Where, like, if I was standing there and, and people were, you know, spinning the jump rope. No, I get I that part of it, but, but why, what is it about it? Well, if there was a speeding jump rope, would you jump in, right? Would you? Well, if I needed to or wh- if there was some reason why I had to. All right, this is the perfect thing. Why do you feel like you have to get in on conversations? 
Like, what is the positive thing of that? Well, no, it would only be like if I absolutely needed to. But but you wouldn't start talking about Jeter, right? Would you want something else from me when you were talking about Jeter? Yeah. Well, why not just say, dude, when you got a second, I need to talk to you about work. Oh, okay. You So you feel like you need to ease into it, then eventually get around to what you want to say. Right, yeah. I think you gotta uh, change your thing to being straightforward, Tom Henderson. That Tom Henderson is all business. He doesn't have time for our water cooler bullshit. He really doesn't, Jesus. Tom Henderson gets to the core of everything. Dominator. The Tom Henderson core, THC. Hi, Ian. Uh, Shane, you're on the Ryan Fest show. Yeah, Ronnie B., uh, thank God the phones in the studio don't ring. Uh, thank God they just light up. Does that bother you when the phones light up here? You think it's bad news? You think we got ten fucking lines of bad news coming our way? No, I don't, I don't think it's any disaster thing. It may not be a friendly call, but it's at least it's not, you know, uh, someone got hit by a car. All right, this gets sent to it. Uh, Tom Henderson has post-traumatic stress disorder from his near-death experiences. Just knowing that can help him feel better about it. Well, you, you've actually had most of these since you were a kid, right? I've, uh, yeah, I've always been a really nervous, nervous, fearful kid. Mm. Nervous about getting lost, separated from my parents. Or my parents, you know, going out for the night and them getting killed in a car accident. Or just not coming back. Mm. Did it ever happen? Uh, no, I got lost a couple of times where I was freaking out, but I was always found. Where were you lost? I got lost at a county fair one time. Mm. And that was just a nightmare. I, I can remember that vividly. That did look like like any sort of crazy uh, circus movie where, like, clown faces and scary faces were just twirling around. Well, I told you how my uh, grandparents uh, were carny people. And when I was four, there's actually a picture of this that I was lost and they couldn't find me. And you know where they found me? No. On the pony ride. I had went up to the guy and said, why don't you give me a ride? And they came over, and they're going, like, how did he get up there? He didn't even have any money. And he was like, oh, he just really wanted a ride. So the carny people, Fez, they weren't going to hurt you. I ended up in some trailer, some office trailer. <laughs> just fucking being passed around, fucking ride boys. Oh. Which panicked me because, you know, you get told, don't go with strangers, don't go with strangers. And then these, like, county fair officials were taking me. <laughs> county fair officials. Were taking me to the office trailer, and it's like, that didn't feel right to go. Like, I was getting further and further away well, from my you, family. You were only 19. What were you going to do? And then I got lost in a department store one time, and they were announcing that the store was closing. Hold on. I'm going to see if it's... You know what? I just found out it's not possible to die from boredom. I know that you think that's traumatic, that, you know, you were in a fucking mall or a fair and wandered off, but it, we've all done it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it just, I mean, that was just always weird. Yeah. You work on this with your shrink? Mm-hmm. What does he yell out? Oh, my God, you were lost at the mall? No, he tries to mix the trauma, take the tra- uh, the fear out of the trauma. He tries to get help me rethink it. Hmm. Well, it seems like he's doing a bang-up job. Not really. So he got fucked by some ride boys at the fair. So what? It happens. They're not fucking you now. Your mouth's safe. <laughs> you showered after, right? What else, Tom? I don't want to downplay this because I know it's important to you. Um, let's see. Just that, uh, that impending fear of doom, um, that, uh, crowds get me a little claustrophobic. Yeah, you said that. They, they, that you walk slow? Oh, yeah. But, I mean, just being in a big room of people. Josh, you're running fast. Yeah, I want to ask Tom. If for the 63 years of his life, he's always worried and been nervous. Like, isn't he used to it by now? And just take it as, oh, I just worry all the time, but I can still do daily things like go to restaurants and get food and, and order food and stuff. Like, aren't you, aren't you used to it by now? No, not at all. Nope. I mean, when I was a kid, I, got, I used to get anxiety and nervous going somewhere because I was afraid I was going to get sick. But then, like, after 10, 15 times of not getting sick, I said, oh, okay. Maybe I'll be all right this time. And, you know, you overcome your fears, Tom. You can do it. Yeah, I just, I get panic attacks where it feels like I'm going to have a heart attack or a stroke. And that's, and just, I get the... Oh, Tom, you'll never have a heart attack. Yeah, I've had, Mm. I've had heart attacks. Mm. I know you have, buddy. So it's and it's hard to think away the physical symptoms. Sure, like if you get a little pain or something. Uh huh. I was just uh, saying this to someone like last year when my appendix burst. After that, uh, all pain seemed weird to me for a while. Like, hey, what's that? Where it would normally just be like my fucking, you know, you have a pain. Yeah. Now you're like, oh, geez, here it is. Uh, it I guess I grow another appendix. I guess it's bursting again. Um, let's go over here to Steve. Steve, you're on my face. Hey, Ron. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to agree with uh, Fez about going into a diner and sitting alone. I mean, those people just feel like uh, they make you feel stupid, man. Well, again, they don't make you feel stupid. You just choose to. I live in New York City, so I eat in diners all the time. And when I was on the road, I would eat at the best restaurant I could find alone. I didn't give a fuck. And if somebody thought it was weird, I was never going to see that fucking person again anyway. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know why a stranger's fucking opinion of of you should matter. Any more than like if uh, someone comes up and says, my daughter just wanted to say that you're really beautiful. That actually happened to a restaurant that we were at last night with a dining companion. They brought their daughter over to say how beautiful someone was at the table. And I'm like, all right, everyone watch their wallets. (laughs) Uh, Al, you're on Fez. Oh, Ron. 
I just got a paper cut. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Now, when I do this sarcasm, th- that hurt your feelings, this fucking idiot? Sure, yeah. He's just trying to join in. He's a fucking retard. So what? Just like when I'm doing stuff, I'm just trying to fucking lighten the mood with you. Does that bother you when I do it? No. Why don't you let it bother you for a second? Why don't you just say to me, fuck you, dude, I'm serious about this. This isn't a fucking joke to me. Because I don't feel that way. Well, just pretend you do. Um, this is serious. Hey, come on. I'm sorry. Um, all right, thank you. Still, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to get over that, that thing that you just said to me. Say, I don't want to upset people. It's too late. Oh, you don't have a problem upsetting people. I've seen you upset people before. Um, I guess if I was arguing with them about something. Uh, Chris, you're on the Run Fest show. Hey, guys, uh. And Tom, I mean this not in a bad way. I just growing up, have you ever had a like a friend or a group of friends just say, "Just stop being a pussy"? I mean, that usually gets me past anything I'm worried about. My friends go, "Look, you're being a pussy. Just do it." If it was that simple, I would do it. It just his thing was: Does anyone ever say to you, "Come on, stop being a pussy"? Uh, I yeah, I think so. Yeah, who has? I'm sure uh, callers have. But what about friends? Somebody you care about? Um, I'll uh, say this about you, Tom. When you're talking about this topic, uh-huh. you never lock up. This is a place that you feel your expertise. You're very fucking comfortable here. I mean, my I th- my parents would say that. Would I they mean, say they, they wouldn't say they wouldn't say the word pussy. Cunt. No. Slit. They would threaten me with the doctor. What do you mean, threat you with the doctor? Like, if you can't calm down or you can't quit crying, you're going to go to the doctor to see what's wrong with you. So that's a threat? Yeah. Because yeah. what would happen at the doctor? Well, you get a. I, the only thing I could think of was you get a shot. Mm. So it would be like, okay, Mr. Henderson, he's. He won't uh, get on the escalator. I'll give him a shot. Yeah, I didn't know what would happen at the doctor's. Like, do you end up going in the hospital and being, you know, stuck there, having to stay the night at the hospital? They just, you know, I I never asked what would the doctor do. WWDD. By the way, what would Jesus do? Did they ever say? I guess the right thing. That's what's assumed. Oh, I think he that's always... what Jesus would do, the right thing. <laughs> they think... never said. No. Because I always say when people go, what would Jesus do? I go, how am I supposed to know? <laughs> I'm a fucking time machine. So when they said we'll take you to the doctor, they thought that you were faking it. Uh, yeah, that was like a threat to chill me out. Why did you want to have those people around all the time then? Just scared to be by myself. Mm. Why? What would happen? Um, I always worried about, uh, like, for the longest time I was the youngest in my family. Mm -hmm. And I always worried about, since they were older, they would all die first. 
and I would be in the house by myself, God. not knowing what to do. How... How much time did you think was going to pass? You would be fucking in your 80s in your house by yourself. I know, but I only pictured myself as a little kid mm -hmm. with everyone else. Like, everyone else getting old and dying and me being stuck in the house as a little kid. It was I, very... It didn't make sense, but right. it was my thought pattern. But why can't you laugh at that now and go, what a ridiculous thing for a kid to think, you know? I mean, we thought a lot of dumb shit when we were kids. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was... But, it, I mean, you're saying it now as if the fear and doom are still there instead of, here's a funny fucking story. Here's how dumb I was when I was a kid. No, I, I realize that the, the logic isn't there, that that was a dumb kid thing. Right. Because, let me... Let's go back to this. I've known you for a long time. You weren't like this for most of that time. You've been like that... Mm, last seven eight years but before that you were life of the party guy yeah and i had phobia like i had panic attacks and right. very specific phobias things i really didn't like and everything just started blossoming from there but you also I, used to tell those stories about it when we'd all crack up like you would make it fun you would make it funny like woody allen makes his funny you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like Woody Allen has now done uh, about 40-some years of panic attacks, and people are cracking up. And we all know that he, you know, he really does deal with that, but he makes it interesting and fun for people. Uh, here's Mike in Tampa Bay. Hey, guys. Uh, Fez, I wanted to call and tell you that I understand some of what, of the pain that you're going through. I uh, I went out to eat last night in the restaurant. All they had was lettuce wraps and blueberries. <laughs> well, the shuttle's up there now. Godspeed. What do you mean by that? I guess go as fast as God. That's too fast. Nobody needs to go that fast. I wonder what would Jesus do if he was flying a shuttle? Fly correctly? Perfectly. <laughs> I bet he would actually go like this. Houston, we're going off course. I'm taking us straight to heaven. Excuse me, come back, Commander Jesus. What did you say about heaven? You heard me, motherfucker. I'm taking this thing to see my dad. Wow, did you just drop F-bombs? Uh, Jesus, I guess you can do anything you want to do. You are the son of God, over. You're goddamn right, I'm the son of God. Jesus could bake water in the milkshakes. Damn, that sounds good. Yeah. With flavors you never even fucking heard of before. Well, now I really want one. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't be a lapsed Catholic. <laughs> Kevin, North Carolina, Yarmouth Fest. Hey, Tom. Hey. My, uh, my mom gets uh, nervous shifts whenever she goes on a road trip. She keeps toilet paper in the glove box. I wondered if uh, you get the nervous shifts, too. Um, I don't shit myself. Anymore. That's the question. So, yeah, I think you answered it perfectly, Tom. Hey, Houston, I decided to take the shuttle underwater. Over. It's not even possible. 
What did you fucking just say to me, Houston? I said, you know, it's an airplane. I'm turning missiles oh, on Houston. Jesus turning God. missiles on Houston. The apocalypse has begun. Over. You get to decide that? <laughs> if you read your Bible, you'll see the apocalypse starts when four different shuttles are flying across the sky. <laughs> Excuse me, is it Houston or Houston? I've just been spending time in New York City. Houston. Uh, Nate, you're on with Ron and Tom. Hey, Tom. I'm just curious. Do you get nervous before you get roofied and mouth-fucked? Oh, that's... There's nothing to be nervous about then. Uh, Tim, you're on with Ron and Tom. Uh, Chris Stanley, sound like a million bucks. Uh, Tom, I need a, I need a little bit of advice. Uh, I have real bad anxiety, and I get out over the most illogical things. I just, I just freak out about everything. But all these people keep trying to give me advice. Why would all these people keep trying to reason with me if I'm unreasonable? I mean, are they crazy for trying to reason with me, or am I crazy for freaking out about stupid shit? Which one's crazier? People trying to reason with a crazy fuck, or me for being a crazy fuck? I guess he's the crazy person. Did you get his point at all, though? Mm Mm-hmm. What was it? That um, I'm crazy. Oh, it wasn't. It's that the real crazy people are the ones that keep trying to tell you to do shit that you're not going to do. That's the beauty of it. Oh, well, well, well. Look who it is, Pepper Hicks. It's Chick. Oh. Hi, Chick. Pepper, do you like that 2012 docu calendar I sent you? Because I got something nice for both of you guys tomorrow at Belmont. If you guys can First let all, you gave be us, bygones and, and keep an open mind. You gave us three bad fucking pulls already, dude. Yeah. How you think we would follow money? this again? Did you got, by, by, by the way, did you get the calendar, though, Pepper? It's a sexy jockey calendar for me. <laughs> I didn't know these calendars, these jockeys are so tatted up. Well, put it up so we can see it from time to time. Let me ask you a question, Pepper. Did, when you looked at the calendar, let me ask you this question. Sure, sure. And, I, there's this, and I'm not saying that you have any gay intentions. I have plenty. Don't worry. But which one did you think was cutest? I'm just saying. Ramon Dominguez. If you had to. He's if really sexy. To, I'm just saying, you know. Ramon Dominguez. Come on. You like him? Sure. Who I does mean, it? My, my three favorite tamale jocks are Dominguez... Edgar Prado, and Mr. No- Senor Noviembre, Javier Castellano, who's got that come-hither look with a little bit of his panties sticking out. I like that one the best. I don't know why you guys are against Terry Thompson with the gun <laughs> hitting down to his fucking, shooting into his balls. Fucking weird, man. Chick, so you I, never... I, I, are you guys open still? Up? I, you know, Ron, I listened last week. I had a, a, a noose around my neck. I was going to hang myself an effigy from the 59th Street Bridge. The hatred that you said that runs so deep for you, I mean, you're, you seem like a guy with an open mind. Are you guys have an open mind? You're an awful person, and, and anything that you give us, we lose money on. Yeah. I'm sure you've got nothing right now. Poorhouse. Hey, listen, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you. Last week, were you guys in last Friday, or were you guys, did you guys take a four-day weekend? We took a four-day. All right, well, I was going to give you guys a call last Friday, and I was going to give you Ichabod Crane and the Suburban Handicap, uh-huh. and that motherfucking horse came in dead last. So I think I've got this all out of my system now because oh. I did a lot of studying. I think I got something for you tomorrow and stuff. I got the, actually two options for you and stuff. No, I only one, one, or, one or the other way. Let, let, just give us the one that you feel the, the strongest on. Lock it okay. up. 
tomorrow and the Man of War Stakes. It's a turf stakes at Belmont. Gio uh-huh. Ponte has won this race two years in a row, is the overwhelming favorite. However, there's another uh, Irish horse coming in uh, called K.K. Blanco. It's by Hayden. You know, this guy, I mean, he's, he, he's three for 49 shipping his horses to the States, but everybody loves him. These two horses are going to take a wheelbarrow action. But there's a horse called Al Kali, who's lost six in a row. Bill Matrain, Alan Garcia's back up on him. If he gets firm turf tomorrow, I think he's got he's got as good a shot as any to upset this whole field. Now, mind you, when I gave you guys prize catch a few uh, a couple weeks ago, I said the course was going to be squishy. I was actually watching this at my local bar on Second Avenue, Murphy's, like on Fifty First Street, and I just like almost fell off the chair when I saw that the firm uh, the turf was firm and this horse was like doing nothing. I was like really ready to just walk out in front of a downtown bus, but Al Cali tomorrow. I have a good feeling about this. And if it pours tonight, if it does come up yielding, the other horse I was going to say boisterous. So it's not like I'm giving you two horses. I'm just saying firm turf, Alcali, other turf, boisterous. I love this because now we're playing the fucking weather. You know what I mean? Like, we're moving the weather, not like these other fucking railbirds who don't fucking have a system. I'm giving you guys everything. Yeah. I'm giving you guys everything. Check what you just did was put money in our pockets. That's right, baby. All you right, just put so, cash in my pocket. It sounds listen, good. Listen, you two guys, you two guys like to you know play with play around with money, gamble, and you know, yeah, it's great to win and stuff. But what's the most important thing? It's to have the fucking action. Right, right? it is. Oh, it's and the we beat have us. action tomorrow. All right, thanks, Chick. Chick is taking us all the way. I'm loving this. I'm juiced now. I'm juiced. I'm we ready. got firm and we got squishy. That's right. We're good. We can go both ways. And don't go fucking late on this or you'll jinx me, Hicks. I know. Point it in every fucking dollar you have. All in. Because if totally I even find out himself. you got a 50 in your sock, I just feel like you've shit on this. Oh, no, I understand that. Don't worry. Glad he called in again. Oh, man, this is great. This made my fucking weekend. No one's better than Chick. Steve, you're on running Fez. He's on fire. Oh, hey, guys. Um, I just wanted to say that it sounds like old Fez or Mike Hollywood uh, basically made a bunch of decisions when he was a little kid, and he's still listening to all those decisions that he made. I mean, as well ask a different kid well, how he should live his life at this point. Yeah, you know, the inner child thing is one of the worst things that's ever happened to this fucking country. You know, when they say listen to your inner child... If there was a fucking kid in the back seat in the car, you don't take them where they want to go. Fuck no. Why You're like, you? shut up. We're not getting ice cream. They're dumb. Daddy's going to the track. Yeah. Don't you fucking understand? I got two different ways to go here. It's raining, so I'm fucking pushing all in on boisterous. Fucking turf is squishy as fuck. It's yielding, baby. Come on. Uh, coming up at 1.30, we'll have the uh, director of Project... Nim is the name of it. You got to see this fucking documentary. This is the craziest shit that's ever happened to the planet Earth. It's getting gr- crazy good reviews. Why well, wouldn't it? I gave well, you the crazy good it. review three months ago. I know. Well, to, we what is it right now on Rotten Tomatoes? Look it up. We should start betting on Rotten Tomatoes. I heard uh, Ope just turning on Kevin James today. Oh, come on. I thought that they were buddies because Kevin James showed up at Bar 9 one night, years ago, and I thought it was because he did O&A that day. He came in with somebody, one of their comic friends. 95% for Project Nim on Rotten Tomatoes. Who are the 5% that hate this fucking movie? Douchebags. 
scum of the earth. Who was it? White? What's that guy's name? Hey, Armand White. Armand White. We got to bring him back in sometime. I like Armand White. Oh, he's great. Dude, you're so fucking excited about these horses we got? Oh, I'm fucking juiced, man. Yeah. I love it. If it's hot, we're going one way. If it's fucking raining, the other. We're all set. We're good to go. I feel like a fucking winner. Seriously. For, I know, right? I mean, finally. It's fucking really happening for us. Oh, I'm so glad Chick didn't walk out in front of the fucking downtown bus. I know. Thank God. I don't know what we would do with ourselves. You know, I've never met a fucking gambler who doesn't talk about suicide constantly. <laughs> I swear to God, Mitchell Walters tried to tell me one time that a real gambler won't eat peanuts because if he's losing, he'll take as many peanuts as he can and try to choke on them to death. <laughs> and he told me that, and I started to laugh, and he was going, serious, you got to be very fucking careful. You don't do something at that moment. Oh, God. Making big cash this weekend. This is the best thing that's ever happened to us. Chick's the best thing that ever happened to us. We got a fucking inside man. And plus we got this great calendar now. <laughs> That's the most uncomfortable calendar in, <laughs> in history. It's really weird. <laughs> Seriously. That, I'd rather be fucking seen reading gay porn than looking at that fucking calendar. Just shirtless little men. Then he has to say, if you had to be with a jockey, which one? She really thought about it. I want Terry Johnson because I'm picking white. I'm not going to disappoint my parents. <laughs> Smart. I mean, it's bad enough they're going to be upset, but then I don't want them looking down on me. Time you got quiet over there. Mm -hmm. The other talk, the non-anxiety talk took you out of it? Yeah. Wasn't what sure where to jump in there. What were you thinking over there? Just that I'm crazy as a loon. Why? Because when people say, th when people call in with things like... It all makes sense to me. What does? Of just getting over it, just getting past things, just being, getting used to the fear, getting, it, it all makes sense. Tom, maybe this will make you uh, fucking feel better. This is an impression I'm doing of my dog Buddy when I was a kid. He don't have a stick in his mouth like I'm using this pretzel rod. But just come over to me like I would be fucking excited to see the stick. Now, here's the worst thing about it. Sometimes I was. I was like, yeah, I do want to go out and throw a stick and have you chase it. That fucking dog was seriously, he would have finally died by the time if I would have kept throwing the stick. When he got older, my brother used to say, stop throwing the fucking stick in the water. He'll drown himself before he doesn't go after it. It's impossible for him not to. I go, this dog will never fucking drown. That's what you don't understand about it. I happen to think that he's a super dog. One of us was right, one of us was wrong. Doesn't matter which was which. All I'm saying is two brothers can disagree. So, Tom, you say, think you're feeling better after getting it all out there? Uh, no, not really. I think, it just, I think I've just highlighted it more of how little progress... I've actually made... By little, if you mean no... Yeah. Yeah, you made no progress. Yeah, so that's the, kind of, that's the thought that's in my head now, not that I've felt better for getting it all out there. But your therapist was able to put out a new addition to their Connecticut home. So think of that as progress. They had to invite you up for fucking weekends. Hell yeah. 
so you can see what you bought. My God, is this an indoor pool? Sure is, Tom. Heated. We named it after you. And this is our Tom yacht. If I was your therapist, I'd have you hand the money straight to my drug dealer. Yeah, I never end up blaming the therapist because I feel it's me that's the one with the problem. Here's what I'm going to do with you, Tom. We're going to take all your money, your shoes, drop you off in fucking mm, south side of Chicago, and then you got to get back to New York within 24 hours without using the phone at all. And I think once you got here, you'd be fucking totally, totally cured. What if I didn't make it in 24 hours? Then there would be penalties, Tom. The worst penalties that you could imagine. We would hurt one of your nieces. Like any good therapist, I would break your niece's fingers. Extortion therapy. Autographed copy of Albert Brooks's uh, brand new book, 2030, all coming up. Uh, One o'clock, we'll let you know how you can win it. Uh, maybe we should even let them know how we can win it before then. Whenever you're ready, we'll let them know. Uh, a lot of people enjoying uh, the Albert Brooks book, 2030. And uh, we'll be doing book club at 1 o'clock uh, coming up in just a couple of minutes. Um, well, the director of uh, Project NIM, the craziest fucking movie you've ever seen. <laughs> it's a documentary. Yes, it's about this crazy chimpanzee, but more likely it's about the people who end up with this chimpanzee. And it's it gets crazy. Hippies and scientists and... I am telling you, yeah. Hippies, scientists, fucking half gangsters. Oh, my God. Um, I don't want to even give anything away, but I feel like I should. So you don't think I don't want to go to a boring documentary. It's fucking crazy. Yeah, the Post gave a bunch of shit away. They fucking spoiler alerted it. The, the Post spoil everything. Yeah. They're like Roger Ebert with a movie review. Yeah. It's like, this is exactly what happens, and here's how it ends. Uh, I read Roger Ebert's review of Titanic, and he said, you're going to cry so hard when the guy fucking lets go of the door, and she lives, and he drowns. Oh, Roger. Trust me on this. God. Where does he get off? I think it gets off on the L. Be a sight. Uh, so we'll break here. We'll come back. Uh, Project Nim, and after that, uh, we set up book club. Uh, we want to tell the people how we uh, win book club. You go over to two hundred two friends. Uh, once you, we want to see actually how creative you are for this book. Uh, write a review on Amazon. Link it to two hundred two friends. And one of those folks will be getting the review. Now, Peppy Hamburger, are you going to be writing a review? Yeah, I'll write a review for 2030. I'm dying to, I'm dying to read yours. Because I've never read anything that you've got longer than a schedule. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, make sure we play that Mike Zito song today. Okay. And I want you to you know work something out for him next week, too. We'll do. Mike Zito in town. Uh Rocking it big time. Rocking New York like you, uh, Lou Reed, used to. 
Fuck yeah. Fucking taking these streets like Q-tip. Mike's you a band. What up? Uh, so head on over to 202 Friends. Your chance to win a signed copy of the Albert Brooks book. And I got news for you. This is something I like that myself. That way if people go, well, you haven't done anything with your life. I pull out this book. I go like this. Well, here's a signed copy by Albert Brooks. So who hasn't done shit with their life? Me or you? Tom, you need anything to say before we win the break? Uh, no. No, I'm, I guess I'm good. You want to show up later after all the fun? Bring us back down? Pro- probably would be best. We can't wait. Uh, back just a couple minutes with the director of Project NIM, the new documentary about when Americans tried to teach language to a chimpanzee. They, all, they actually taught him over 100 words of sign language. Sick. Including me want joint joint. <laughs> <laughs> and more tit, please. Who would let him? Seriously, you're going to put a chimpanzee on your fucking breast? I guess it's kind of like a human. I mean, I've been with some sick women before, but I'll fucking draw a line. I'll go like, you fucked a what? Monkey suck my titty. Well, if she's like, I don't know, I just wasn't into it. I'm sorry, I don't have monkey dick. Maybe that's what, you know, maybe you want to get back. Here's a banana. Go call your old fucking boyfriend. You just, you know, you're banging her and you hear me. She's making like fucking cheetah noises. What's that for? Oh, nothing. You're fantasizing. Uh, right back, uh, the director of uh, Project NIM. Um, oh, by the way, he did one of the great documentaries of all time. I think he won an Oscar for it, didn't he? Yeah, he won the Oscar that year, yeah. Uh, for about the guy who climbed the towers. So and what's the name of that? Man on Wire. Man on the Wire. This is about, a, a, I don't know how he always gets this great old stuff from New York, but it was. So he wins an Oscar, Man on the Wire, about the guy who put this up on the on the Twin Towers and walked back and forth. It's an amazing documentary. It's awesome. This is his follow-up. It comes like five years later. He works like five years on these docks. So I'm not fucking, you know, when I say working on docks, I don't mean like over in Jersey, like the fucking people you know, Hicks. Oh. He's doing real good. He's working on the docks. Not like that at all. He's going he's great. This is an amazing documentary. I want you to go see it. Back after the jump, it's the Run of Fez show. Project NIM is the new film. It opens July 8th in theaters, and James Marsh is here with us. Uh, congratulations, James. Thank you. What a... Uh, it's such an incredibly strange story, isn't it? After all these years, it's still an incredibly um, wild tale from beginning to end. It certainly is. It's the story of a chimpanzee, uh, and we follow that chimpanzee throughout his life, from the moment he's born until the moment he passes on. 
to uh, Chimp Afterlife. Um, so, yes, it's an extraordinary journey he takes in, in, in our world. He's basically mm. taken from his chimpanzee mother when he's born, given to a human mother to bring up as if he were a human child, uh, which is an extraordinary idea in, it, in the first place, and how that plays out is very unexpected in the course of our story. And it is... Well, I, and I remember hearing about him before in the past. Like, I, it, it was a deal where I walked into the film only vaguely knowing something about it, so I hadn't read anything about it leading up to that. But the amazing part of it is what a story of, of about the people. And to me, the 70s, this decade that you had of people that were trying things, because this scientific experiment is not all that scientific. You know, it's not the way it plays out, is <laughs> yeah. it? No, I mean, the reason being, I think, it was because you're saying uh, you know, the, the experiment is to see if you can teach the chimpanzee how to speak a right. language, and they're going to use American Sign Language used by the deaf community. So that's the idea here. But what they don't reckon with is that that if you're asking group of people to kind of be a mother to a chimp or to have a relationship with him, that, that involves their emotions, and those are very unpredictable. As you say, that the the film is focused as much on the sort of comings and goings of the human in the human world and that drama that's playing out around the chimpanzee as it is about the chimpanzee itself uh, and some quite you know some quite strange things happen in the course of this it really does and it plays out like a novel um and the interesting thing about the about nim is i think that the people project something of, of themselves on him so the people that want a party see him as a party people that are looking for family see him as family sexual people see him as very very sexual and as i'm i'm watching the how did you see him by the way um well which I, which, which, which part of those did you uh, well I, the thing is i thought that was well i saw him as a reflection of that decade mm. of the the craziness of that decade but i also thought of it somewhat like forrest gump that he ends up in these strange strange predicaments yeah just witnessing stuff that's going on around him yes. he's kind of making it happen and he's kind of innocent right. in a way in this world that he's in he's like an ingenue wandering around and and at the time well here's what people think about family here's what people think about hedonism here's what people think about commitment here's what think people think about power and what was really interesting is that you've caught up with so many of the people long afterwards um and I don't think that their opinions have changed. I didn't see a lot of people going, wow, was that, you know, what were we doing back there? Well, to be fair to them, I mean, I didn't give them the benefit of hindsight. I wanted to tell you the story as it, as it happened. So right. I deliberately excluded any sense of what people think about it now. I wanted to, yeah. to put you in the present tense of the story. So, you know, you witness it at first hand, event by event, action by action. I'm sure that had I, indeed, many people offered those hindsight kind of reflections but i didn't really want to let you have them i wanted you to, to, to hear, hear this story as it happened um how did the story appear to you how did you get the story and know that these old kind of videotapes and all existed sure well you know the the, the 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 story actually comes from a book that was published in 2008 written by elizabeth hess and she discovered this extraordinary life story of this individual animal that we tell in our film and we took that as our starting point and uh, i was hoping there would be footage and stuff around of this chimpanzee. In fact, there was a lot more than I was expecting to find. And so you can see this chimpanzee grow up. You know, you see him as a baby, you see him as a teenager, so to speak, you know, a, pu a pubescent mm. chimpanzee with all that entails. And 
you see him as a kind of fully grown adult chimpanzee, so you kind of get the sense of his whole lifespan physically, and he changes a lot over the course of the years that we're with him. Um, and so we're very lucky to find all this great archive stuff. You can really see, really see the real chimpanzee and the people that we interview now, 30 years on, we see them as young, attractive right. people running around. And um, as the story starts to unfold, um, does anyone look back and go, scientifically, this could still work out are there people that still think well he's learned enough language or enough communication went back and forth or this isn't the type of thing we get ourselves involved in anymore? well you know here's, here's the thing about the experiment it was a very it was the question they were asking was can a chimpanzee essentially construct a sentence i.e. Mm -hmm. use language the way we do and we use language in endlessly inventive ways i've not used this sentence before now using it for you yeah. um and uh, what they didn't really ask was whether you can communicate with a chimpanzee and have some kind of rich discourse, interaction with him. And clearly you, you see in the film that you can. Mm -hmm. And the conclusion of the experiment is quite a limited one. Oh, well, he probably doesn't speak the way we do. Well, how could he? He's a chimpanzee. But along the way, you find people in his life that are able to kind of communicate with him really quite well. And they use words, they use body language, they use signs. And you can have a, quite a good back and forth on that level with him. And also, as you know, in the film, he has certain kind of pleasures he likes to indulge. And he's very, he's very happy to ask for those. And he, yeah. he can sign for them. So if he wants to smoke a joint, he will sign for it, and, and if yeah. he's lucky, he'll get it, you know. And again, what a reflection of the times. No one would even consider, hey, maybe the monkey wants to smoke a joint with us. Um, we did. These <laughs> days, but yes, we, we do find out, if nothing else, they are happy to get high with everyone. Um, but, you know, the other part, when you asked me what I thought of the film, I couldn't help thinking about how much environment plays in and, and thought of it as human thing too because when you see him in different places he does somewhat adapt just like i'm saying the people reflect mm. i think that he adapted to whatever that's really true actually and that's a very good ob observation that he's quite um he sort of sort of makes the best of it mm -hmm. and he doesn't have any control over where, where you put him you know we control him from the get-go he's born in a cage he's our yeah he's our captive even when he's got, you know, a brownstone to live in and a mansion to live in, as yeah. it happens in this extraordinary early part of the story. But you're right, when he gets anywhere, he tries to kind of make the best of it. And he tries also to try to... What's so poignant about it is that when he's in a cage, he's still trying to talk to us, and we're ignoring him at this point. We've given yeah, him that's these signs to, right? to, to, to use, and then we just ignore them. Uh, he's in yeah. a cage on his own, signing away to people, and they just don't care anymore. And that's really heartbreaking. There was a part of this when uh, we kind of go through the 70s to the 80s and, you know, uh, AIDS comes up and, of course, we research. But I couldn't help thinking that it wasn't like the film Boogie Nights, where in Boogie Nights, everything stops being fun as the 80s come up. Yeah, that's the truth. It, it's, that appears it, <laughs> to be the way. Um, yeah. You know, I made a film, last film I made was called Red Writing 1980. Yeah. And you're right, that, that, that decade, that, that year, <laughs> everything changes. You right. Know? Uh, but you're right, you know, the, the party's over in 1980, you know. The party definitely just ends around that time. Um, so as you're watching this, all the, the, the folks who were in the documentary, they've seen it, and what are their feelings about the documentary? Well, I'm not really the best person to ask, in a yeah. way, they are, but um, that said, um, a bunch of people came, who were in the film, came to Sundance with the film screen first, and... Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, the first screening, I have five of them behind me, you know, and I'm, I'm sort of suffering a little, because I have to take responsibility for what I've done to their lives in this story. Um, but so far, you know, 
the people in the film have accepted what I've done with it. It's not probably the way that they would have right. done it. But at the same time, no one has no one's come after me yet. Let's put it that way. But it, it's I mean, you have to be aware that it's got to be so difficult for people to be in a documentary. Sure. Um, I mean, I'm not sure whether I would be very comfortable being yeah. in a documentary because um, yeah, for, for reasons like you know, I, I know professionally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you take a piece of someone's life and you and you you manipulate it into a story essentially and they don't have that much control of what you do with that story and you hope as a filmmaker you hope that you have a responsibility towards the truth and mm -hmm. you're, you're getting the truth of the matter but some people you know often people don't know the truth of their own experiences and, and I don't know the truth of some of my experiences to, to be honest either so it is kind of very tough to see yourself in a film you know distilled in that sure. way on screen. Have you ever been in a film? What, what, uh, um, I, no, but, you know, I interview people for a living, and I've never been comfortable on the other no, side well, of it. No, you and me both. And you know. I always think, well, at least with here, you've kind of come into my world, I know where everything is, but in a documentary, you're in their world, mm. and you have to show up there, and I would imagine it, it probably takes a little time. Yeah, um, I mean, I think I don't, I don't just you know show up and talk to people. I, I spend a, quite a bit of time with them before yeah. we go and do the the interview. And that interview can last five, six, seven hours. Yeah, uh, they're kind of rather epic undertakings. So before you presume to do that, you need to get people to to trust you and and to want to, to talk to you. Yeah, and, and the way you do that, I think, is by just being a a good listener and asking interesting, pertinent questions. Um, so you don't just kind of jump in and say. Tell me your life. Even in America, you can't do that. No, no, you, but people are ready. I mean, uh, uh, we could walk out outside you right bet. here right now, and people are ready uh, to they'd jump. They'd be queuing up, wouldn't they, to be I, on your show? It is always amazing to me of how people know how to be on television. If a fire takes place, the news shows up, and people will take the mic and do a great job. Mm. Something extraordinary happens in their life. They can go on the Today Show, the Tonight Show, and do fine. That's we know how to be on right. TV. We do, don't we? And increasingly, reality TV is almost like, you know, it's a different form of reality altogether. But yeah. we, we know what's expected of us. You know, I've got a yell now. I've got a cry now. Yeah. And that's kind of a bit, kind of disturbing in a way, that, that, that version of what you're talking about. Well, yeah. I think if you watch reality TV now, you will see people think, all right, I am kind of the bad guy. So I'm the character here. This is what yeah. I'm supposed to do. Absolutely. Yeah, this will be my yeah. job to push the story along. Mm. And people know not, they don't want to do boring television. Yeah, uh, yeah true. But in the, in the course of real documentary, the kind of work that you were trained for, you want just the opposite, right? You're looking for some kind of a... Natural, you want to get beyond that, for sure. Yeah. You want to get beyond the performance element. And yeah. to the... To, it's like, I mean, it's a little bit like being a psychiatrist. Um, I'm, I can't believe I'm saying this. Uh, but where you're trying to get beyond the superficial issues to get to the, the bigger ones. Yeah. And the reasons for things and the motives for things as opposed to just the, you know, most people who tell a story about what's happened in their lives, they've told it maybe five or six times already, if not a hundred times already. Yeah. And therefore you want to get, break down that familiarity, you know, the mythology that you create around yourselves and your events in your life. And that was particularly true of Man on Wire, which, you know, was a very different kind of film, which I made a few years back. Um, to get beyond the mythology of this event to the real feelings involved took some time and took, we had to break down some of the, the people to get them beyond that familiar telling of the tale kind of idea. Yeah, and particularly here in New York where people had their own mythology. They do, don't and they? And there were so many people who said they were down there and they saw... You know, it always happens that way that people will 
change it for their life in their mind. I don't know whether it's to make themselves a better character because I don't think that you wake up in the morning and decide I'm going to lie and put myself in that event. No, but you gradually move towards a kind of more mythical yes. version of your own story. Yeah, and you know, it's the legend is always more interesting than the reality. Print the legend. You it, know. it it does become that. Um, it's funny because I was on the air here the night of nine eleven, and. Now I don't meet anyone who hasn't said they didn't hear the show or whatever. And quite I frankly, didn't hear the show. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, quite frankly, the the oddest thing is, I think a lot of people have taken the next three months worth of shows and, and kind of made that stand made for that it. into Absolutely. that one perfect yeah. show. And I, I've never went back and listened to it because you mustn't. I mean, you shouldn't because it's a sacred thing that right. you did there. Whatever you did that day, that you know that responded to that event is a sort of sacred thing, and you shouldn't second-guess it. It, ha it happened because it happened the way it happened. And, um, you know, uh, I was here in New York. I lived in New mm. York at the time, and, you know, we all have our version of that day and, yeah. and what we saw and what we didn't see and what we wanted to see and maybe, you know, now I think we have seen. Right. And it begins to interact with what you see on TV, you know, particularly an event like this where you see... I saw one of the towers fall down mm -hmm. with my own eyes, and when I saw it, the first one I saw on TV... And it's a really strange combination to see one on television, the first one, and the second one I saw. Right. I sort of basically confused the two in my own memory. You know, I'm exactly the same thing. And I even remember that day, because I was at a, an angle. I actually went running looking for my kids that day. I had mm -hmm. to go to a couple of different schools. So I didn't see them come down. It, it happened all during it. But looking up and seeing them on fire and thinking to myself, much does that look like a movie? I mean, I actually thought to myself, "Well, the Jerry Bruckheimer is better than I mm. I thought," because I'm somewhat prepared. But for see, that was, that was that was dare I say, and I won't put it this way, but that was what the 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 idea was to, was to make from the terrorist point of view to make this vast epic image. Yeah, that's what the that seemed to be the idea of this was to, was to to kind of give you it for real. Mm -hmm. And it was very much informed by a movie sensibility, that whole business, you know, for better or for worse. And it's a, you know, it's an utterly hateful and evil thing to do. But that's what they were striving to create was an image. And you're right, we can, and we, we've, we're informed. And, you know, when I, it's, yeah. it's very hard now to see destruction in a Hollywood movie when you've seen it for real. Yes. And yet we haven't lost our love of watching our oh, planet wonderful. destroyed. No, it yeah. be destroyed over and over again in movies. Every single year we get three or four big budget and oh, there goes the Hollywood side. That one's down. Again? Chicago's gone. Right. In New York, okay, and it's New York's turn now. And yet we still find there's some kind of um, happiness about yes, that. Well, some kind of some vicarious kind of thrill in it not happening, I guess. That's what it, how it works, really. Um, you know, there's a very interesting discussion about you know, why we enjoy seeing spectacles of cruelty and, and destruction. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure part of it is because it, we know it's not real. Well, but when he, you've seen it for real, it changes your view of that. I it think. changes everything. Now, you come up in a world where, all right, we make things for the screen and for television, and, you know, so we react to that. But now we're down to YouTube-type things where everyone in the world is waiting for something stupid to happen so they can get that on YouTube and go viral. Everyone's kind of yeah. a small filmmaker, short yeah. filmmaker. Yeah, stunning. stunning. It is. I mean, I you know, I, you, you, the only hope you have for my own profession is that most people aren't that good at it. No. <laughs> so, no. so it, it really is one of those things that you know, it's like often models become photographers because they think, well, a camera, I can do that. I pick it up and just shoot with camera. I, I can be right. a photographer. Um, and I think often that's the sort of case with filmmaking that somehow it's a very easy thing to just point a 
camera and you'll you'll make a film and it actually is a bit more difficult than that and particularly to have anything to say i mean look out here i think if you would have made this film in real time in the 1970s it would have been a totally different Absolutely, yeah. film and we would have probably been caught up with is there a breakthrough? Is yeah. this a, No, your did, questions would be different. Yeah. And your emphasis, you're right. I'm not, what I'm doing now is constructing the story, knowing how it ends. Yeah. And I'm working from that point backwards, which is very different from seeing it unfold. And my choices would have been very different. You're right. It would have been all about, can he speak? And what's he going to say? And what's in his head? And, you know, pass the marijuana. <laughs> yeah, pass the marijuana. <laughs> this is great. And pretty soon it'll be Planet <laughs> of the Apes. But I think for me, uh, one of the real interesting things about this film uh is the people and i think it always comes back to that no matter what we're talking about i mean even when we went to 9 11 the the stories of what human beings did mm. that day is far more interesting than what anything that's, and the epic fact of it yeah no, I, I absolutely agree and that, that's one of the reasons why i wanted to make this film was that i saw in a sense there's, a, there's an opportunity to kind of look at human behavior in a sort of animal context mm -hmm. we are primates too and we have power structures and we have aggression and we want to shag women and and vice versa so on and on um so you know the, the film was an opportunity to look at us as a as a species as well as chimpanzees as a species mm. and yet somehow we think of ourselves as far away from nature there's not like somehow there's nature over there and here we are. Here we are. Yeah, cut there, off from it. And there's God. He's yeah. somewhere else. And yeah. here we are. And we pro we have such an oddly precious look at ourselves. Well, this this experiment universe. comes out with all those as you all those kind of preconceptions are there. Yeah. All those assumptions are there that somehow we are unique and different, and we're going to evaluate this creature. Maybe we can teach him to talk to us if if possible. Um, so yeah, we 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 don't we don't want to see ourselves as animals. And when you see a primate like Nim, and you see the overlap between the species, it isn't what you want it to be. Mm. You know, Nim it can be very aggressive and violent, as can we be. Right. Nim seems to have a hardwired desire for pleasures and hedonism and i'm one of those people that seem to have that too and maybe you are in other words those kinds of tendencies sure. we, don't, we don't see as being animal in nature maybe they are perhaps they are um and, and yeah my excuse yeah well, well the, <laughs> I can't yeah, help myself. the interesting thing is we do make excuses like yeah. oh god i met this girl and is she great she had poetry maybe none of that stuff is you know because you're always trying to convince people at first um you know, when there's that new person that you're just so attracted to, that there's all these reasons. They're the best, yeah, they're the best person in the world. Yeah, they're and, just great, yeah. and they're great with kids, yeah. and, you know, and maybe all that stuff. Well, it's all about projection, of course, that's what we're doing with him. Yeah. We're projecting stuff onto him. We have expectations and hopes for him, and we want him to be like us, you know, mm. and he isn't like us, and that freaks us out in this story, for sure. When you find yourself in a, in a story like this that starts to unfold, it's got to feel great because I'm sure there's times that you've gone into stories and almost found out there's no yeah, you real often, story you, there. Yeah, you explore, you, you, as a documentary filmmaker, you, you, you explore things and they, mm -hmm. they can definitely not hold up. This one, you know, when I read the book, um, I was sort of gripped by the story mm -hmm. on that basic level of what's going to happen next, where's he going to go, what's going to be done to him. And as you know, in, the, in our film, in our story, there is... Yeah, two or three very, very dramatic turning points and, and shocks even into what his situation and where he ends up and what becomes of him that you would never see coming at the beginning of the film. And that makes it, I think, on a level of a film, it kind of works that way pretty well as a narrative, as a story. It's full of surprises. 
Some of them incredibly comical, and some of them are just like dark comedy, but very much like a novelist. Uh, it just feels like uh, John Irving sat down in the same way that he wrote Garp and thought, I'm going to get him in these different situations. The same thing happened in them. Yes, yeah, one of the things I like in documentaries that I, I tend to make films about things that you wouldn't believe if you told them as a fictional right. story. If you made Man on Wire, no one would believe that for a moment. So, mm. But it all happened. It's all true. Reckon, you have to reckon with it on a different level. But that tends to be one of the choices I'm, or things I'm looking for is something that would feel utterly preposterous if it was given to you as a fictional story. Um, is it better for you, or does it feel differently when these are uh, come out in theaters first than going straight to television? Yeah, maybe it's a vanity that we have as filmmakers that you want you know to to, to be seen on a big screen. And the thing about you know, if you, there's a very difference in the way that a film is consumed. If you pay money and sit in a dark theater. Uh, you're going to pay attention in a different way than if it's just casually on in the, in the corner of a room. You know, you, right. you, you have to try. In a sense, you know, it's it's you have a captive audience in the cinema, and and you can be a bit bolder and a bit more. You can trust the audience more too. You can say, guess what? If you're going to sit and watch my film, I can trust that I can slowly unfold it for you, and I I can be more subtle actually yeah. in, a, in a piece of cinema than I can on TV, where you kind of need to kind of you know grab people straight away and keep grabbing them and keep grabbing them because if not they're going to switch over to the reality TV show that we talked about earlier on and they'll see you know kind of couples arguing and shagging and all that kind of stuff so yes it's a vanity but one that um, works for me I thought it was interesting that the audience that I saw it with I thought a lot of people were also having different um, different reactions to that's it. really I'm really glad to hear that it's kind of what you want there's yeah. a whole kind of spectrum of reaction you can't control how people react to what you do but if there's a variety of reaction that feels like you know people are asking different kind of questions based on the same experience of the same film and they're getting different things from it I guess too yeah I mean normally you're in a, a film where some people will like it and some people would dislike it but this is one where I, I felt like people would be involved in different parts there was still some women going ah long after we were past the hour because I was thinking well, well you're going on but I think that this is abuse I think we've moved in <laughs> and I'm not some PETA guy but I think this is abuse against mm. this animal so it was really really uh interesting to sit there with that crowd and have people go back and they're you know they're oh God, you know people would start and get angry at different parts of this and the other interesting thing I think to tell this through a chimpanzees point of view is that we for whatever reason we are somewhat protective of animals in ways that we're not well, I, doing radio here I do all kinds of different shows but I noticed one day that people were so much more involved in a story about an elephant being shot in Africa than they were about the tsunami in Japan mm. that sometimes when thing, think people th things happen to humans no, it's a, it's a strange paradox that, you know, you, you can be cruel to an animal and people will, will be outraged. And you can yeah. be cruel to a child and they're not quite so outraged. Um, I'm not quite sure why that is. It's an interesting thing to ponder how animals, somehow we respond, maybe because they are ultimately helpless Mm -hmm. in the face of our control over them and that's true of Nim that you know we always control him he has no say in his destiny whatsoever and there's something that we I think we have a sympathy with that predicament right. but you're right there's something kind of not quite right about our reaction to animal cruelty as opposed to human cruelty and how one we can respond to and feel strongly for and one we maybe not 
not so strongly for. That's weird. I'm going to be so interested to uh, hear people's reaction to this, and I purposely haven't got, given away many uh, You know, I'm very glad details. you didn't, because I think, you know, there's a story here that yeah. really does take you by surprise at certain points, and you're not, you know, where you're going to end up with it. And it's a journey he takes in our world, uh, there's this chimpanzee, and so I've tried not to talk too much about the details of the mm -hmm. actual, the revelations and twists in this story, because there are there's some, you know, I think it's better to see a film and enjoy it with the surprises available. I think that you have to, and I'm, I was really happy that I went in knowing as little. I mean, I'm glad that I didn't read the book, and I noticed she didn't, she only was in the film with you in the early stages, too. I mean, you kind of moved his story out of where the book was. Yeah, well. no, we ha also had people who talked to us who didn't talk to the, the writer. Mm -hmm. So we were able to kind of explore different parts of the story that Elizabeth wasn't able to get to. We had one particular character who's very important, uh, the second mother he has, Laura Ann Petito, who didn't uh, give an interview to, to, to Elizabeth Hess. So, yeah, no, it's, it, it, definitely the, the, the shape of the story is all in the book, but the details and also the seeing the people and seeing the chimpanzee in the film is, you know, a sort of just a different kind of experience and reading about him. It's an extraordinary uh, story. James, thanks so much for coming in. That was really, fun. It was a pleasure. Thank you very it much. It was really great talking to you and just knowing the way that uh, that you do this work. It's amazing. Project NIM, it's opening uh, July 8th all around the uh, country and I'll make sure I give some more details to that. Thanks so much for stopping in. The Virus. The Ron Fez Show. Ron and Fez Show presents Book Club, featuring Albert Brooks's 2030, the real story of what happens to America. So what do you think? A jingle, a television campaign, the desert inn has heart, the desert inn has heart, the desert inn has heart. It's enough, it's enough. I keep telling you I'm not in food, I'm a writer, a screenwriter. You say write on the cream, you mean the birthday cake, yes, you that's write it. No, that's good, that's what I do, I'm a birthday cake writer. Ah. I write happy and my partner writes a birthday. Yes. yes, and you can join the conversation by calling 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Maybe I just didn't explain the nest egg well enough. The egg is a protector like a god, and we sit under the nest egg, and we are protected by it. Without it, no protection. Want me to go on? We just watched him crumble a few hours later, and why? At the threat of no television? I was 10 years old. Television is everything to a 10-year-old. It's like heroin. You can't just pull it away. And I never wanted to watch television. My parents made me because they wanted to go out, and I got hooked. Don't talk to me like that. I come from New York. Yes, I know, and you don't want to go back there because as soon as you land, people steal everything you've got. Now, I resent that. That's a cliche. New York is the greatest city there is. Shut up, Brad. Your song stunk. I hate your suit, and I could hurt you. David, that's enough. No, I haven't started yet. The Ron and Fez Show Book Club. Come on, kids. Custody, retardo. Don't call me retardo. Come on, retardo. And now, a live discussion on Albert Brooks's 2030, the real story of what happens to America. It's the Ron and Fez Show. I am Ron Bennington. Uh, we will be talking for the next hour about Albert Brooks's brand new book, 2030, the real story of what happens to America. Uh, Albert Brooks, of course, one of those reasons that keeps New Yorkers from feeling completely superior to Los Angeles because uh, a, a great, great career, great, great amount of, uh, of films that he's put out, great stand-up comedy. But this, and I got 
happy typing girl in here with us, and I'll let her introduce her book club to us in just a couple of moments. But uh, this surprised me because when I got the book, I thought, well, it'll be kind of like an Albert Brooks movie. It'll be kind of a comedy, and we'll be following one guy through it. And this is a very big, expansive uh, novel. There's all kinds of stuff happening in this. Yeah, there's a lot of surprises in this book, and I think on the second time that I read it, I started to hear Albert's voice a little bit more right. in some subtle places. But it was a different—it's a different voice than um, than than the movies. But there, there's a lot of the things that you love about Albert's movies that that you will find in the book. Uh, I agree. I agree with that as well. But you will never see as many characters. Like there's just a. I mean, it's one thing that, of course, the the book kind of moves around physically to a lot of different places. But you're never kind of in his films as used to leaving characters and going to different places. Uh, and by the end of it, uh, I'm I'm thinking you would think that maybe this was his 12th or 14th novel. It certainly doesn't feel like uh, anybody's first real novel. No, it doesn't feel like a first work. It, it really, um, it, it's a great book. It's a comfortable read. It's not, it's not a difficult read, and yet it's a very smart read, which is a rare combination. Um, I'll let you introduce the book club, and a lot of people are on the phones here calling 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. I thought what we would do is try to stay with the themes of the book more than go over the characters and stuff, because let people kind of be introduced to that uh on their own. I don't want to do any spoilers here, is what yeah. I'm saying. Uh, a lot of people listening have uh, had the book for weeks and, and have been through it, but I'm sure a lot of people haven't, so that's a great idea. Um, we have a bunch of people here with us in studio today. Um, we have Brian. Hi, everybody. And Jocelyn. Hello. I feel like a, I'm on a nursery. <laughs> it is. You are. <laughs> and uh, Kevin. Hello. And Eric. Hey, everybody. He wants to go by Tuck. Tuck. And, of yeah, course, Tucker. my whole gang has uh, read the the book itself. Uh, who was surprised that you've got this kind of futuristic book, but it only takes place 19 years in the future? I don't know whether I've ever seen that before. Yeah, that was actually a kind of an ambitious way to go, because you <laughs> could have said it so far in advance. Right. Anything was possible, or it could have been... A present day thing and sort of split the difference so the technology was just a little bit past where we are just now. a little bit past and the challenges that we have yeah. right now are a little bit past i mean this is like what will happen with everything that's in the news today if it doesn't get corrected almost immediately exactly even though it's in the in the near future it's about today for me it was about today um but you get to have the fun of you know albert brooks is just so inventive with coming up with things that don't exist right now right and that was one of, that was one of the really fun parts of the book but normally if you get that in a sci-fi book you know it's just you know you got smoke pants and they're wearing different <laughs> things this stuff we are probably fairly close to most of the stuff actually being done in 20 years. I mean, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have thought of people texting, and it took place kind of gradual. But now, if you compare us with 20 years ago, it seems insanely different. Well, and that's why he's so creative coming up with things that could happen within the next 20 years, and yet no one has thought. I mean, some of them yeah. are things that we've talked about and thought of, but some of them are things that literally no one has even ever discussed. There, and there are things that you could see as viable yeah. for the mm -hmm. future, and but are, are still really cool to think of. Yeah. Right. I thought a cool Albert 
Brooks' twist on some of the technology and concepts is he would think of an invention and then also think of the problem with it right. and the way we would outsmart it so they would have uh, companions so we could drive in an uh, a HOV lane in our car. He would have fake robots that would sit with us, but then pedophiles were attracted to the right, other robots right, right, right. and that kind of thing. You had to work all that out. I thought that was smart stuff. And I thought it was great, too, because it is true of technology. I'm sure like in the 1900s, Every new invention, people are like, this is great, life is going to get better. But I think we do look at even like new apps on iPods and start thinking now, where is this going to go wrong? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, is this going to end yeah, no, school no as we will know it? Well, there, yeah, well, there'll be no more spelling contests uh, because we've seen it happen mm -hmm. enough. We've seen it uh, happen enough. Uh, let's go over to uh, Brian and Jocelyn. What, did, what was the theme of the book that... Um, for you guys. You know uh, what I picked yeah. up on? And um, it, that in the future, even 19 years from now, there's still anger and cynicism and uh, not necessarily bad attitudes, but uh, in my world, as I'm going through time in 2011, uh -huh. my circle of friends keeps getting more optimistic, more positive, more we can solve anything. Mm -hmm. But Albert Brooks's voice, to me, was still a little bit, oh, there's still racism, oh, there's still, uh, you know, maybe some anti-Jewish fervor in the world and, mm -hmm. uh, although the China well I don't know so if we should talk about it. you can <laughs> you right. can of course uh, you know a lot of talk about China in this book although they seem to be very accepting of the Chinese and and that country and the, that country's role in the world uh, globalization kind of plays a role in in uh, in the book in terms of we're further along in, than we are now. But just think, 20 years ago, we, n the, the subject of China never would have come up. Right. Now yeah. it's in the paper every single day. Yeah. You know, Now it's in the paper that the sleeping giant has awoken. And he's just kind of taking us to this place of, here's the next couple of steps. Yeah, one of the things I was curious about is um, how much research he did or didn't do into you know developing technology and politics and all that because so you know there are things in the news that are happening now that were in his book and you know obviously he wrote it I not think yesterday he's just so creative with that kind of thing I thought the way he handled like in defending your life mm -hmm. he handled that so creatively and it wasn't heaven and it wasn't earth. It was idealized Earth that, he, mm -hmm. that you could relate to. Right. You'd want to be there. You didn't want to die. You just wanted to be there. And I think maybe he kind of did a little bit of that. <laughs> that was this. one thing that really surprised me, though, what uh, Debbie was saying. I flipped to the back of the book. I was expecting the acknowledgement section to be like 20, 25 pages long, just thanking these scientists right. or world travelers, just whoever, to give him all this information. But I, I believed any of the technology or advances that he had to come up with and he did his homework i think one of the interesting things when you were saying uh, uh of of what's going to be there is the effects on aging mm. on all of us mm. and i really still was just as tossed up about it at the end as as before um we are living longer and yes. it was interesting that albert was also bringing up what is the problems of that. Mm -hmm. Not just on the people that it happens to, but what happens to a whole generation yeah. who has to wait longer and longer and longer before they get their shot. And that's already happening. Yeah. So that was the one theme that started to really scare me because I could envision that kind of happening. 
you know? Yes, because the baby boomers are never going to die. They have, <laughs> wow. the, you know, from the, the time where they took over in the 50s as children, then once yeah. then in the, in the 60s, and now you can see that, uh, you know, you look at a group like AARP, yeah. and you look on the cover of those magazines, and Crosby, Stills, and Nash and & Young are still... <laughs> Are still rocking nice. covers after all these years. It's, yeah. That culture has been so powerful. You know, they, they've got the vote, um, and they're going to for a long time. Um, they've got the political action committees, and they're going to for a long time. And, like you said, the companies that are creating things for consumers are going to be looking at this large group of consumers... Which luckily I'm not that far away from, so I can get the benefits of it. Well, do you, uh, well, yeah, there are. There's no. There's certainly benefits to it. You know, there's certainly benefits to it. But you could see to living longer. You mean? Yeah, yeah, there's benefits to living longer, and there's actually probably benefits to a society to keep people longer. You know, there's more chances of wisdom. But to have people not be able to have their time mm -hmm. when their physical bodies tell them right. it's their time. You know, when you're supposed to be the warrior, when you're physically supposed to be the warrior, it's a tough thing to hold on and wait for your shot. You know, it almost is like, are we setting up a country of Fredos, you know, that never get their opportunity? Yeah, and it's something that happens now where we have, you know, groups of people who are unhappy because, you know, they're not getting something they want. Mm -hmm. And then the people the who are... Yeah, and well, and the people who are in the power are saying, yeah, but we're right. It doesn't even matter if you're right or wrong. If you've got some angry people, you have a, you have a situation you've got to deal with. Mm -hmm. you, you know, and in the book, the, the angry people... They're not always right or smart. Um, there's there's one part where they put uh, they all wear a bunch of T-shirts, and they don't even understand what they put on right. their T-shirt. They, they don't know what it's about, but they just wear it anyway. Kind of like Che uh, Guevara T-shirts. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The kids wearing Che totally T-shirts because it's kind of cool, right. more yeah. than uh, than really graying politically. So right. even if they're wrong, there's still there's still a worry and a problem to deal with. Uh, we're talking about 2030. This is the new novel out by Albert Brooks, and I think most of us here have been uh, Albert fans for a long, long time. But I think across the board, it it all kind of took us as a pleasant surprise how much of a different writer he is in this form than in screenplay. And there's very few people that can uh, pull off both. Um, I said we'd take some calls, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Let's uh, head on over here. Calling from Tokyo, here's uh, Brett. Brett, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good, Ron. Thanks. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to thank uh, HCG for starting the club. Thank you. So I, I really enjoyed the book, and I uh, probably wouldn't have gotten the book if you guys hadn't uh, brought it up. So thanks a lot. How are you listening uh, to well, us in Tokyo? I'm sorry? How are you able to listen to us in Tokyo? Well, I had a stream, but mm. I don't have it now. <laughs> I did have I did have the XM uh, mm. serious uh, internet service, but uh, I usually go with podcasts now. So, what did you think of the uh, What did you think of the book? Oh, I enjoyed it. I mean, the, the beginning of it had a lot of the gimmicks, uh, a lot of the the little inventions and things. And that was cute. Then it got more into the story, and um, I mean, it, it ended up. I, I posted on the uh, on the uh, book club site that I thought it was a kind of a happy ending. It was sort of a utopian or optimistic. And I, I'm sorry, I, that's a spoiler. I'm sorry. No, I'm but, because uh, I'm also I'm I'm ready to go in a different direction. Yeah. I don't know if I would have called that a happy ending. I mean, it quite frankly was just a 
another direction, but I don't know whether I would call that even an ending. Just an ending. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, it was kind of life goes on. Uh, Chris Stanley, uh, you enjoyed the book. Oh, I love it. This is my wheelhouse because I lo- I've been reading science fiction since I was a little kid. Right. And then the co- and the near future is even more interesting, I think, than the far future. Like, kind of like a children of men type thing where you can see everything happening that's being said in this book. And everything he does, state in this, Albrook states in this book, I can see happening without So a doubt. do you think it's tougher to write near future science fiction or far future? Oh, uh, near fiction, uh, near yeah. future, much harder. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'll agree, because like, you can read like a science fiction book and you're like, oh, they have a crystal, <laughs> and now we can go to Mars. Right. But with these things, and there's about, uh, I don't know, 25, 30 different inventions easily, i think easily. Yeah. yeah and you're saying and and this is the thing as a reader you start to judge almost immediately hey could this happen you know what i mean so you're really you're really holding each one up to a litmus I, I test i want a nextron <laughs> yeah. yeah i want one of those ipod yeah. translator <laughs> video <laughs> camera Babble fish. Oh, every, it's a wallet i want yeah. one Already, and some of them, you know, you, you, you I was just kind of shocked it doesn't exist already. And one of them was um, the uh, retirement cruise ships, where you just go and live, Amazing you know, your idea. retirement mm-hmm. out on a cruise ship and travel around the world. Seems like how do we not have this? Right. Why are my parents not on there yet? It's and that seems that's another thing that seems like in the future when there's overpopulation, it's right. you know, a good idea. Uh, another theme that comes up, and we won't give it away, but is a natural disaster right. that happens to an American city. And it's certainly, for me, was an echo of New Orleans, but this would even be bigger, even more disastrous. And where are we supposed to go with this? I think one of the things as an American is seeing how difficult it's been to rebuild uh, that city, the city of New Orleans, and go, why didn't it happen faster? We're demanding that. And to see that it could happen again. I mean, the scenario that's laid out there is not anything that any scientist would disagree with being a real possibility. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, being a country in debt is so frightening, um, because we really do need to have reserves to kind of deal with it. What, you know, what if something terrible happens? How do we deal with it? Because as Americans, we've become really used to expecting if something of mine is damaged or destroyed, I'm going to be made whole immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can go to Europe and you'll see there's, there are city, towns, not cities, that haven't rebuilt completely from World War II, but we want immediate fixes. Part of the problem is what Ronnie brings up all the time is that we stop becoming a nation of builders and manufacturing. Right. And we are now, you know... Making apps. Yeah. yeah, we are making apps instead of being c- civil engineers. Mm-hmm. And my father's generation, that was one of the the great jobs to have was, you know, I can remember like looking at different things and my uncle worked on this bridge and, you know, we'd have that, that pride. I don't know anyone who does that kind of work out of my generation. You yeah, know? you know, if, if we had even a small town that had a disaster, we are no longer people that can sort of come together, take our hands and, and rebuild houses and help people clean up things. We mm-hmm. we kind of just stand there and wait for someone to come in and fix. Yeah, Jocelyn's uh, family, and Jocelyn is from Youngstown, Ohio, and that's a very different mm-hmm. town oh, these just, days. It's a ghost town, yeah. It is a ghost town from what happened? Oh, the, the steel yeah. mills are still there, and they're just empty and boarded up. And You don't understand. They're turning them into bed and breakfasts and art galleries. It's going to be <laughs> exactly. really nice. No, there are blocks and blocks of mansions, and one out of 20 will actually have someone living in it, and the rest are just boarded up. 
And it used to be where everything in the country came from. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. that was... Those type of towns would take care of the rest of the country. When we turned our backs on them because we could get it cheaper, now look how vulnerable we are to something like this. Yeah, and I don't want to say that we have no skills. I mean, obviously what happened in New York City um, less than 10 years ago, people did come together and they worked with their hands and they helped each other. um. But let's look at the time. That was a manageable physical problem. Those were two, three buildings that people could come and the whole country could pull together, do something. In New Orleans... The country blinked. You know that the country blinked, and you know we you watched it on TV, and then finally you found out, hey, you know what? It's not just that we're inept. We don't have that kind of money. We don't know if it makes financial sense to start rebuilding a city where this could happen again. And that is, the, I think, the thing in the book: Are you rebuilding back into a place where? Really, there may not be a future anyway. You might be just dumping money again. Yeah, that's an awful human thing to have to take a look at. Yeah, we have a lot of parts of the country that are vulnerable to some major disasters, mm-hmm. and we know it. We know it in advance. Um, let's go over to uh, Tim in Atlanta. Tim, go ahead, buddy. Hey, Ronnie. Thanks, and, and Deb. Thanks for putting the group together. Sure. Um, Two things real quick. One, and it's kind of contrary to, uh, I believe it was what the guy from Tokyo said, other than it being a a happy ending, I kind of felt a general malaise through a lot of the book, Mm -hmm. especially the debt load uh, that America was carrying. And we had just tapped out uh, all of our financial resources. We're so dependent not only on China, but on other countries. And I I thought it was kind of overwhelming uh, by the end of the book as as far as as that went. The... uh, the funny side of it was some of the inventions. My favorite one was the crane that would automatically remove wrecks off the highway. Yeah, that was great. Uh, yeah. so. Genius. <laughs> We've all had that idea, right? How do we have that? Uh, but, Tim, you know, you, you came up with that thing of the debt is, God, it's just so big it's right crushing. now. crushing. And here we are looking, you know, 19 years in our future. Uh, and the... Uh, for me, the president is also a, re- a, a reflection of Obama. I, I, you know, I mean, he's it's not Obama, right. but it did remind me of when Obama got in and had all the hope and stuff like that. And then the reality that came into this is, A, you can only do so many things, and B, he didn't exactly sign up to be that kind of president. You know, He thought he was going to be a social president, and everything was about social change, and then he stepped into a time where it was all about economy. I uh, I pictured Obama throughout the entire Me book, too. even though he was described as a completely different looking Debbie, guy. Debbie and I had a, a little back and forth because she said he went in and backed off his promises, and I said he really made no promises. He got in because of a racial slur, basically, and then he just had to just keep the country afloat. That's mm-hmm. all he could do. Well, not so much his promises, but he had some policies going in that he said, you know, these are this is what I believe. These are the things that I believe in. And once he got into the presidency, and I'm sure this happens to all of our presidents, two things happened. Number one, he realized there's so much going on with the day-to-day stuff I have to keep up with that I don't have time to introduce my new ideas. And number two, you become afraid of 
public opinion. You know, yeah. oh, well, if I do this, people are going to get mad. He, he mentions I, that in the book directly where he says, uh, there, why would anyone even want to be president? You certainly can't start any good programs or initiatives. All you can do is hope to not say anything controversial and not increase the debt. You can't promise to lower it because you know that ain't happening. All you can do is just hope to stay out of trouble. And uh, I think uh, Albert Brooks really drives it home with uh, President Bernstein's kind of, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but uh, the arc of his career, how he starts out as the Obama, but towards the end of the book, when he's campaigning against his rival, he's kind of turned into this McCain figure where he's forced to make these xenophobic statements to uh, try to get any attention. Because anything to win, right? Mm -hmm. Just at a certain point that, you know, idealism will go out the window for these guys, you know? Just go out the window, and the, I think the McCain thing at the end was is is a perfect analogy because in 2000 everybody was like, "Jesus, McCain's a real straight shooter, isn't he the best?" And then by the time you saw how much in eight that he really wanted to be president and was willing to do anything, you know, after a while. Yeah, it's it's scary to look at your leaders and say, oh, we can't find a good leader. All these guys that are up there are just jerks. But it's ten times scarier to look around and say, you know what, we. it's not only that there aren't good leaders, our system makes it impossible to, for anyone to be a good leader. Even if we have a good leader, they're not going to stay a good leader. That's wow. frightening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is... I mean, that is part of the thing, that it is kind of a machine right now. Here's uh, Sherry. Sherry, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hi. Uh, first of all, I want to say it's nice to hear everybody's voices and names. Um, it's nice. Well, thank you. Oh, this is Sherry. <laughs> Sherry. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, right on. Hi. Um, first of all, I want to just say um, the main thing I thought was the satisfaction. Even though these people were living for a long, long time, their satisfaction of life was just not there. You know, everybody's paranoid. The people who are young are paranoid. They're, you know, there's no satisfaction. Is it really worth it? I think it's really, really great point. I think, uh, you know, that we were we were talking about the inventions that show up in, in the book, but the psychology of of what everybody was going through that it was surviving. It was kind of staying alive. Isolating. Yeah, isolating. But where was that real lust for life? Where was the joy of living? Right. You can cure, you know, a lot of our problems with a pill or a drug, but it does mean you're going to be happier. And yet, who would not, who would say, oh, no, we're not going to let this extended life pill go out on the market? I mean, you would be kind of thought of as, you know, Hitler or something if there was a pill that cured cancer and you didn't make sure it got out to every single person. That's what I thought was so interesting was the pill didn't make you younger. It wasn't a fountain of youth. You just Mm -hmm. didn't die. Right. You stopped contributing to society, uh, hence the resentment from the youth towards the old people. You would take these pills and get your bones regenerated or whatever it was, but you weren't superhuman. You Mm -hmm. were just living out your twilight years and it was a real long twilight. And you did see uh, a depression in some of the older people in that their friends were dying, even though they were getting older, and now they were so alone. And it was right. it was amazing. They're, yeah, they're kind of, they had outgrown uh, the world. Uh, we're talking about the brand new book by uh, Albert Brooks. It's a New York Times bestseller. You can pick it up at Amazon. Uh, dot com. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if you guys know about this now, but we're putting together uh, somebody's going to get a signed copy of this on their Amazon review because now we can see how the guys in the book club can write as well as read and critique 
Mr. Brooks. You'll also be able to sit down and write up your review. Uh, when it comes to the older stuff, uh, some of my guys here, here, the younger guys, uh, Pepper Hicks and Mark Zito, you guys have grown up in a world that when you guys came out of college, it wasn't like the world was all ready for you. And these problems in the book are the problems of your lifetime. More than the rest of us, I think, who at least had some good decades <laughs> to enjoy America. But you guys have kind of grown up with this shade over top of your generation. Yeah, it's true. And one of the, one of the things about the book that was disheartening was it seems that years in the future they're having just as much trouble with them as we are now. And so even though there are these drugs that change things and all, all those problems and stuff like that, there's still the debt. There's still all that. The debt is the biggest thing. And I so kind big. of, yeah, I kind of even thought the extended life was also a metaphor of the debt. Absolutely. That here's this, this earlier generation using something for themselves and who has to pay this off, the people that weren't even born yet. Yeah, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a young person, character in the book called Kathy. And I identified every single moment of my life with her because, you know, all sorts of screwed up shit happens to her. Parents die, debt, debt, debt. I'm like, geez. I this is I, your life now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's crazy. When, you're, when your parents le uh, passed away, you felt like you were left with all this kind of stuff. Exactly, because there was no health insurance. No one was thinking ahead. No, right. There was no life insurance. So now uh, all these bills dropped up on top of my head and I got to pay them. Can I tell you something, Kathy? We still love you. I want you to know that. You're not alone, Kathy. I need my own Max. And really, you know, we definitely uh, need some kind of a huge jerk at the wheel here. I mean, you literally have to look at this, that where we are going as a country. And, I mean, the president's moving around right now the same way that, you know, that you'll have to with a Shylock, you know what I mean? Like, you're making really, really quick moves just to temporarily put off some of this debt that we owe. Well, it's one crushing. Of, one of the problems you have is, even when people come up with solutions, if there's one group of people that will be negatively affected by the solution, even though everyone else is going to be better off, there's one group of people, you know, we won't do it. Yep. All right, so your point is we... We actually pay too much attention to the individual and not societies. Well, I'm not choosing a side, but def but that is one of the reasons we can't come up with a solution um, because we don't. You know, and maybe that's right. Maybe it's a good thing to say we're not going to harm you know Group A to benefit everybody else. But it, it's go it makes it impossible to come up with any real creative answers because we no longer, you know, at the time everyone when we put the highways through the country, right? We went through people's farms that weren't for sale. We used to knock houses down, but you haven't heard about any of that kind of stuff for like twenty, thirty years. But there's huge parts of the Bronx mi missing because the highways right. needed to come through. We would just displace thousands of people. I don't think you could probably pull that off today. Because of lawsuits. Yeah, and you could take either side of that argument. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we were just talking about this uh, uh, over the weekend because we were at Kendallwood Lake in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And that's a man-made lake. It used to be a valley with a town in it. So there's churches down there. There's graveyards. There's whole, oh, a whole town. Right. But uh, during the Wor what, Works Progress Administration, I think, uh, they made all those man-made lakes. It's kind yeah. of creepy. Yeah, it is. But <laughs> yeah. they would. You forget that. But they barreled over. Uh, a lot of people to get that done. And I think that was your point, is that the government can't make any fast changes now. Right. You know? 
And, and, you know, it's great that people are more protected, but the consequence of it is we're not going to come up with solutions. Mm -hmm. uh, here's uh, Girl Hicks. Uh, we're talking about 2030. This is uh, Albert Brooks' best-selling novel out now. You can pick it up on Amazon.com or check him out at AlbertBrooks.com. Uh, Girl Hicks, you're on the Run of Fest show. Hey, guys. How's everybody doing? Hey, sweetie. Hey, girl Hicks. Good. Hey. Um, the, the debt theme of the book was just totally, I mean, not to beat a dead horse, but was totally depressing. And to the point of should we sacrifice one group to benefit the masses, I think if they, you know, if someone came up with a decent solution to the debt problem or any other problem and then said, you know, look, this is going to affect you, Group A, for a while and it's going to suck for you for a while, but in the long run... It's going to be better for everybody, and it will get better for you. This isn't a forever thing, but we need to do this to fix it. If they had the balls to actually say something like that and really, you know, just be honest with us, we might be able to get something well, let's done. go back. The last president who ever attempted that was Jimmy Carter. When Jimmy Carter talked to the country and said, look, uh, I want you to, you know, we've got to turn the heat off. I want you to wear a sweater. No Christmas. They couldn't wait to vote this guy out. <laughs> they brought Reagan in who said, everything's going to be great and we're America and we're going to, you know, and that's the kind of leadership, whether you like it or not, your fe fellow citizens want. They want the guy who's selling you a better tomorrow. People are are not going to vote for the guy who's going to necessarily tell them hard truths. And nobody wants to take that stand. Nobody wants to take the stand and take the risk of of someone um, getting upset with them, which is why I really loved, you know, the, the passage of the gay marriage in New York was really exciting because not only did it pass, but we had one person who was willing to stand up and push for it and say, I want this, even though it was going to turn some people off to him. And A lot had, of people. And he had to really work people to get it done, but he just he just kept fighting. Yeah, and I love this. Even if it's a get, an issue that I'm not in favor of, I really do like to see someone taking some risks of, for something that they believe is the right thing. When yeah, you, it's, it's unfortunate that nobody nobody can actually stand up to that solution and take that risk. I don't know why one guy can't come along and go, I don't care whether you vote me out or not, yeah. okay? <laughs> Here's my legacy. Here's exactly what I'm going to say. And if you want to you know, vote me out, that's your that's fault. That's kind of Chris Christie in mm. Jersey. He kind of takes that attitude. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and while I don't agree with his policies, I do like to see someone willing to take that attitude. Um, all right, thanks for calling, Girl Hicks. Thanks, guys. Good bye, to talk to you. Bye-bye. Zito, you wanted to add something? Well, yeah, I was just going to say, my generation, I think in particular, do vote on the ideals and stuff, and that's why we were so excited about Barack Obama and getting him in there and all the young people. But then you, you face these problems, and it becomes an issue of, well, where do we start? And that's, that's I think, what disillusions a lot of people, because when I look at you know, politics, I want to get involved, I want to make this country and the world a better place, but it's, there's so much that it's just, it weighs you down. Well, you know, the, the other funny thing is, is your entire generation is already weighted down with your own college loans. No. I, I don't know anybody in here, that any of the younger guys, that aren't looking at three to four times their annual income and college loans. And I'm like, well, that's a hell of a job that yeah. uh, loan got for you, huh? Anyone Something who, that pays one quarter mm -hmm. of what you owe. That's true. 
and then really doesn't get you anywhere yeah. ahead of anybody if you're else. Really lucky and work really hard. You'll never pay it back. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a sad state. Yeah, I mean, you, anytime you want right. to make a change in the world with anything, you feel like you've got this giant just pile in front of you and nothing but like a teaspoon to start digging it out with. And um, and then as soon as you start to take that teaspoon, you say, I'm gonna, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. And you start digging. Yeah. And as soon as you do, three people show up to tell you you're an asshole for trying to take that spoon and dig into that mm -hmm. pile. And I think that's one of many very realistic touches in the book is that... I forget the percentage, but it's something like only 50% of people graduating high school in the book actually go on to college, kind of like it was 60, 70 years ago. Right. It goes back to that in 2030. Which actually may be the, uh, the way to go. I thought at some point, though, that it almost feels like, look at Italy, look at France, look at England. At one time, they were all the big powers of the world, and it almost became kind of an odd relief for them when we took it over. Like, all right, now you police the world, now you try to keep the empire going, and yeah. maybe that's our pass-off to uh, China of, you know what, why don't you run with the ball for a while? I'm exhausted. As long as the person looking to take the ball isn't Watch aiming it. missiles at you, yeah. then yeah, it, it, I think it would be a relief. Huh? We can focus and put our money towards some other things. Or start and have siestas and really, really <laughs> long lunches. Um, let's go over to uh, Billy. Billy, uh, you're on with the Ron and Fez Book Club. Albert Brooks, 2030. The book's available now. Go ahead, Billy. What's going on, everybody? HTZ, good uh, call on the book. Uh, definitely a good book. Good read. Thanks. Um, I think you know, away from the topics of the book, uh, something Albert Brooks did really interesting was, you know, bring humanity in every one of these characters, I think. And each kind of, you know, like a normal book, obviously they all have their own kind of story to tell, but each one individually, you know, they show on humanity, the president and his relationship with uh, the Treasury uh, check when she gets in there. What's her name? Susanna. Susanna. Yeah, Susanna, you know, what happens with them is, is right. a very interesting way to go. And, and even the Chinese guy, again, I can't forget his name. Shen Li. Shen Li. Yeah, Shen Li, when... when uh, they first introduce him, you know, he's very, uh, I can't even explain it, but you know what I mean. When, no, I, I don't want to give anything away, you know what I'm saying? No, I know exactly what you're saying that with all these characters that, that he deals with, which was what kind of surprised me, because each one of them is like their own little movie. Yeah, where yeah. in an, an Albert Brooks movie, the ones that he's written and directed, you're basically following him, the other people is... Are, are kind of there where he reacts to, but you don't go off and follow those characters. And this, yeah. in his novel, uh, you're following all kinds of people. And I didn't even, re he's, the caller's right, I didn't even realize that there is no bad guy, even, you know, the one person you no. might want to point mm -hmm. to as the bad guy isn't a bad guy, he just He's frustrated. Confused. Right. Yeah, you're not looking at... Uh, he's the, not an evil guy. Yeah, right. evil in the normal it sense of... that way. Uh, of uh, what you normally have in stories. Uh, mo most of the people, I feel like, are weighted down right. with the responsibilities of life at that time. And stupid and confused, you know, you, you may not want to judge that person even as harshly as that, but stupid and confused is as dangerous as um, as evil. Uh, here's Don. Don, you're on my face. Don, we got you, buddy? Oh, hey, Ron. How you doing today? Good. Um, I, I Just a quick point I wanted to make. Um, I think that the, the general public, I know me personally, am, am so cynical and so distrustful of the government that if the Lord himself came down and said, listen, if I raise your taxes by 
to solve the debt problem in 10 years, it will be completely solved. I would sit back and go, I don't believe you. You're lying in somebody's fucking pockets. Whose are they? You know, and, and I think that's the biggest issue that, that the whole country has to face. Nobody believes anybody up the top. Well, part of that problem why we don't believe anyone is because we have so much information now. Yeah. You know, we're not a bunch of hayseeds. Well, we are hayseeds, but we're hayseeds with Google. You know what I mean? We have we could sit down and Google anything and go, well, here's the examples of what they tried before. I mean, look how quickly uh, we're saying, hey, we need a fast-talking you know, president who's going to put it out there. Look how quick I brought up Jimmy Carter's name of law. That doesn't work. Carter tried it, and they ran him out of town on a rail. Yeah. I mean, we've seen a lot of stuff now. Um, these younger guys that we're talking about have the exa exact connections to everything that, that you guys have by living through experience, you know? Uh, Hicks has seen the same movies, listened to the same albums, even though he's a young guy, it's all available to him. There's nothing that he can't get within seconds, and in a way, that brings cynicism instead of opportunity, instead of excitement for a better tomorrow. Yeah, you can constantly consume anything I want, musically, culturally. Just go to Wikipedia and get a few torrents, and then I know exactly what's going on. It's crazy. But, you know, when he said if, if God came down and offered mm -hmm. us, you know, a solution, we wouldn't believe it. it. It is true that there is no one I will mistrust more than the person telling me that they can solve everything right. or have the answers. You do sometimes have to say, you know what, I'm going to trust this. You got to kind of weigh the risks and say, all right, at no. the worst, I'm, no, everyone's really afraid of looking stupid. Mm -hmm. Even if there's no risk of something terrible happening, I don't want to look like the idiot. Sometimes you got to say I'm willing to take a chance that I might look like the idiot to, to play this out. I think because we live in an age where we have access to more uh, misinformation, that we can just look something up that isn't true yeah. and accept it as truth. There's always more to the story. Everyone, there's a scandal. They right. deny it right to camera. You know, that used to mean something. Now it doesn't. Uh, I had recently heard a celebrity talking about, uh, he Googled himself and on his Wikipedia, it said that he had Crohn's disease. And he said, I'd never heard of Crohn's disease. I didn't even know what it was. I had to look it up on Wikipedia to find out what it was. And then he didn't know if he should believe that definition. And I was like, it was like a snake eating its tail. Yeah. And I was like, that cynicism comes from, cynicism comes from, I don't know what's true and what isn't. I'm being sold you know, snake oil half the time and don't even know. And there's it. also this kind of echo of noise about whatever happens. So yeah. if Obama make a, makes a statement, there's 2,000 blogs to say why that's not true. Yeah. And, you know, you can see something on... I mean, there's still a lot of people who believe that the United States was attacked by the United States on 9-11. There's... Tons of people out there who believe that somehow there was dynamite in those buildings. And right. they're not, they will give you websites to back them up, and this happened and that. And it becomes almost exhausting to get, you know, there, there was almost something better about just having one Walter Cronkite. It was just one right, place. one voice. Yeah, yeah, just one voice. And then you could say, well, I disagree with Walter Cronkite, or I agree with him, but now... There's almost nothing that you could agree or disagree to because there's so much noise on both sides. If you want to find something to support your argument, whatever it is, you can find it. 
Right. You know. And people tend to be afraid to kind of say their own opinion because there will immediately be a wall of people telling you you're wrong. It happens on the Ron and Fez show all the time where a topic comes up and someone says something very definitive and then two phone calls later someone goes, yo, that last guy didn't know what he was talking about. I work in that field. I stake my reputation on it. That guy's out of his mind. And then two calls later there will be a third point of view. Yeah, you'll have experts. As a listener, it's great. You know, if I were actually trying to glean information, I'd be screwed. (laughs) Albert Brooks, we're talking about his new book, 2030. Uh, It's already a New York Times uh, bestseller. Uh, 2030, the real story of what happens to America. Uh, Available now on Amazon.com. AlbertBrooks.com has all the information. And, of course, uh, Albert has a very, very funny Twitter uh, is it a page? What do you have if you're a Twitter? Just a Twitter account? account. Yeah. Uh, at Albert Brooks. I think it's really him, too, right? Yeah. That's it's really him. Yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. And I want to I, I point out also that with all of this, you know, heaviness and seriousness, it's a very funny book. And, you know, we have um, this book club on Facebook that we're going to keep open for anyone who decides to start reading the book. You can go over there and join it. Uh, and last night, I was just reading through it. Some of the people had started the thread of the best quotes from the book, and there is so much. Yeah, that's the longest in the thread in the book club. Yeah. Is that one? It's great. Which is not an easy thing to do as a writer, because, like you said, if you really looked when you're writing a uh, a script, you're working on funny, quotable lines for your characters to have, but you would just say. Oh, uh, we're in Los Angeles in a tall building, yeah. and then you go on and start writing dialogue. He now, this is a whole different way of writing where you have to sit down and write the novel. Well, and the best thing about, you know, doing the book club for me has been, you know, like a lot of these, the, the things that became the really funny quotes. Well, the first time I read it through, they were just sort of a part of the book, kind of like when you go see, you know, a movie, a lot of the lines don't become funny until the second or third time you're seeing it. Mm-hmm. You don't really reread a book that many times. So being able to talk about it and someone else points out a line that made them laugh, you go back to it, and you're like, you know, I kind of glazed over that. That's hysterical. Yeah. Uh, have you guys read the book more than once yet? Uh, yeah, I read it, read it and then I sort of skimmed through it to prepare right. for to be here and whenever there was a funny line I would sort of seek it out and hear it in context and it was worth it yeah, worth, worth the double dip I'm after, on the second time yeah after you read it uh, you can just go on that Facebook page and just scroll through all the quotes and you'll be yeah. you'll relive that it's, and it's I should, amazing I should also say the way Debbie laid out the Facebook page is really smart because if you don't want anything to be spoiled you can still go there because you actually have to seek out a spoiler. She really laid it out right. She took her time on that. So it is. It is. Um, uh, it's not an easy thing these days to be able to sit around and talk about something without having the spoilers. But I do think that there's so many themes in this book going in so many directions that you can sit around and talk about most of these things for a long time before. You got down and started talking about what the actual characters. Yeah, that's were an- with. that's another thing that I loved about doing that book club and doing this too. Is uh, again a lot of those things I might have just glossed over and read it as a story of what happens to these you know ten or so ten or twelve people. But when you start to talk about it, you you know you really sort of un- I don't know. It's like unpacking a box and you and you find all this other stuff underneath. Uh, here is uh, Glenn. Glenn, you're on the Run of Fez show. Oh, hey, buddy. Thanks for uh, uh, giving me this book to read. It's, it's, it was fantastic. Uh, there was a throwaway thing in the book, and I thought it was the most important thing, um, was that they said, or he said that uh, 
society took the airport rules and laws, and you weren't allowed to dissent in public. You weren't allowed to argue. You weren't allowed to get upset. And I really see that that's what's happening in our society is we are taking the lead from airport security because, you, like, you guys, to get into your building, you had to have your name in the system. You have to scan your ID. Like, it's a nightmare getting into just a building, and that's, that's post-9-11 uh, security at an airport. Um, actually, it's a really, really uh, brilliant point to put up, uh, bring up. Thanks. Here's the interesting thing. When they first put that stuff into the buildings here, we used to fight with them. Yell, you know, don't stop me on the way to work. Mm -hmm. Who are you? What the hell? Yeah, you have nothing to do with, you, you know, you work in this lobby. I'm 36 floors up. I've got, you know, I don't work for you. I'm not hired by you. And now I just wear a name tag and I don't <laughs> think about it. I just run the, the thing through. It's it, it does show that after this, it's almost a, a way of being indoctrinated, is that you will just start to accept. And now if you're in an airport and uh, somebody's saying, who are you to ask me where I'm going? Or where I'm, yeah. You see that person as being the asshole. Where you used to be like on the side of freedom, you're now like, dude, you're slowing us all down. Why don't you just give them what they want? Yeah, if you're mm. driving, you know, you see someone with anything even remotely signifying authority. If you're driving down the street and some guy has a hat on or has a, an orange flag and starts telling you that you can't, you know, stop, you'll stop. You won't question, you know, who are you to tell me mm -hmm. I can't keep driving. And, you know, if someone who kind of has something that looks like a badge comes and tells you you have to leave your home and take only one suitcase with you, you just kind of get on the bus and you don't question it. And it's not just uh, against people of authority. It's now to the point where they are so afraid of of anything getting out of hand at all. You can't even have a disagreement yeah. in public sure. anymore before they're ready to lock you up. Right. Yeah. And I, uh, I think Glenn's point really kind of ties it back to uh, something that Tucker was saying earlier is that in this modern era of security and extreme politeness and just going with it. On the other hand, there's this alternate universe in the internet where you can just make up whatever crap you want and yeah. just be a raging asshole. <laughs> and it's the kind of the proper Excellent. etiquette. You're expected to be sarcastic and make shit up. And that's how it works. And so, so everyone has these two identities. So here's the interest. Yeah, who are uh -huh. we? Are we the people who uh, go on every comment page behind an article and say the worst possible Trash thing? It. Or are we the people who just stand in line quietly waiting our turn like good Russians? You know, we're, mm -hmm. we are kind of living both realities. Yeah. Um, it's probably why we're being such assholes yeah. online, because we kind of feel resentful and embarrassed that we've given into... It's uh, just the anonymity. It, it, it's nothing more. We're basically people who just want to read the article, and there's a real vocal few that just can't wait to make a comment at someone's expense or try to get some heat by uh, being shocking, you know. Uh, but is that some kind of screaming out? Here I am. I'm here too. Yeah, you know I, what I mean? Like this, I got the, nothing going on. I got so nothing happening at all. Yeah. Please write something mean back to me as quick as you possibly can, they, they so I know this, I exist. They yeah. have this thing where sometimes you'll have an exchange with somebody and you'll walk away later and go, "Oh, you know what I should have said? You know what really would have been a zinger?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you just log back on and type in your zinger. <laughs> but you know, won the war. It, it, I think it's ridiculous. I don't participate in that. No. It, it is. It's insanity. It's seriously insanity. We were talking outside before how RonFez.net, what used to be such a great, like, family-oriented mm -hmm. site, it was awesome, and then it just got into that. 
But you know what's really funny is like there's nothing unique about that. No, right. Amazon's like that now. Go, go to the Pittsburgh Steelers yeah. site. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whatever it is, it's become this uh, odd internet rage that's taking place. And you know now they're starting to call it you know, bullying or whatever. I don't know whether it is. I don't mm. know even how real it is. I know when, if, you know, I, I see any of that stuff about the show, I personally are just like, okay, fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I would never take that personal. Um, let's go over here to Mike. Mike, you're on the Run of Fez show. How you doing, guys? What can we do for you? Uh, I was just wanted to call in and say that it's refreshing to hear uh, in just an intelligent conversation about our media saying, and uh, definitely to pick the uh, book up. But um, with everything, just like in regard to the economy and, and everything else that's going on, I think the, the, the basic problem where everything lies is just that uh, you can't have a conversation like this with anybody uh, randomly, or uh, you know, even if you're waiting in a doctor's office. Most people are just completely oblivious to what's going on. And I think that things could change and could get better. And, uh, you know, the government would have to do something about it. But the reality of it is the majority of people just don't know what's going on around them. Well, here's this is the kind of an interesting thing, and I'll throw it out to you guys. This is why, for me, fiction still works. That Albert could sit down and write this as a fictional story set at 19 years uh, and most of us are seeing things that we think are reflected out of today's newspapers. But if he would have wrote some, I'm Albert Brooks and I'm warning you of doom, you know what I mean? We probably would have pushed it over with every other kind of nonfiction thing out there that's just kind of um, all starting to run together. That fiction still works because you can get caught up in characters yeah. Yeah. and then talk about these Realistic issues. fiction like yeah. this is like very relatable and uh, because there were many times in the book where I could actually hear Albert Brooks's voice mm -hmm. in my ears, you know, just actually picturing him saying some of the lines so that Albert Brooks fan in me was satiated, but it, it was more than that. It was actually a much more substantial book. I, actually, I ended up thinking about things, discussing stuff with my girlfriend or my best friend or whatever it happened to be, and, and uh, I, I thought it was real interesting because some of the stuff that I've wished for, like privately, comes true in the book, but it ain't. It doesn't work out all that well right. in the book. So I thought that was. Uh, and was a good I don't place think he it. mentioned the apocalypse even one time, did he? No, no, just no, keep no. going. Just <laughs> keep going, everybody. <laughs> the second one also. <laughs> yeah, and like like all great science fiction, you're really talking about right now, but you're putting it in a way that nobody's defenses are getting up against you, so that people will really listen. He was really good at coming up with stuff. I don't know how he did it. He mentions a. Uh, Oregon in the book as a good place to die, oh, and then yeah. like the month I'm reading the book is the month that documentaries on HBO. Right, and then they were uh, they they have a watch, a phone that's also a watch, like Dick Tracy style. But people would answer the phone and spill their coffee on their lap because they would answer the phone and look at the watch and. That HBO documentary is also on this month with well, the hot, hot coffee. coffee. I'm like, shit, in 2030, we're still fucking talking about the hot <laughs> coffee. There was a lot of that. And in the then book. I picked up Gawker today, and they say that more people are wearing uh, wristwatches than they yeah. have been to be hit. We discussed that years, on yeah. the what? site. Yeah. I thought the watch thing was really the most brilliant thing. So when I first read it, I'm like, 
Nobody's using watches what? anymore. That was kind of crazy. Where'd that come from? And since lamp. that moment, all I've heard about is people talking about watches are back, watches are coming back. Yeah, my, da- my, my daughter's 19. She's and um, she's um, her generation is the watches are getting bigger and gaudier and have all sorts of gizmos. I could see it coming. Uh, here's Bill. Bill. Hey, you got you, pal? how are you guys? Good. Yep. Sorry about that. Um, I was just wondering um, about this book. It's very, very relevant uh, as to what we're going through right now in the future, obviously. But how do you think this would translate into film? Do you think we'd ever get a movie out of this? You know, uh, first of all, I never know what they're going to decide to turn into a film or not. But for me, the great thing is that it wasn't a film. You know, that it's really, really cool to sit down with a novel. And when uh, Happy Typing Girl came up with the book club idea, I thought it would be great. Because I haven't done this in a long time. I've sat around with friends and talked about a book because you really do get more involved. You spend more time with it than you ever do a film. And there's more characters that you can embrace. The fact that... uh, my my producer over there relates to one of the girls in yeah. the, the books. You're never going to do that with a film. You're never going to sit down with a film <laughs> and go, I really relate it with the pretty girl over there. But when you're reading a novel, you tend to yeah. put that skin back. Because it's your own voice. So, yeah. You know, you're all up in your own head. Yeah, and there's there's not a lot of books out there that you really feel like everyone can get something out of this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, books tend to you know be towards this market or this right. market. This one is really great. It's a read that I think just anyone who listens to this show would let, would enjoy reading. And it opens up a lot of discussion. Yeah, um, and we've filled our hour. Oh, that so it? yeah, that Bummer. filled our it hour. Did go quick. Uh, that was awesome. Albert Brooks's best-selling book, 2030. It's available now. The real story of what happens to America. Now, uh, you can set up something that the book club is doing to give away one of the Albert Brooks's uh, signed books, right? Yep. Autographed book, signed by Albert Brooks. Um, and if you go to Amazon.com, write a review. Um, you have all weekend to do it. I, I don't think we'll you do, guys are going to We'll pick. do it Monday, late Monday. Uh, send a link over to 202 Friends with the, ta- the hashtag 202 Brooks Review, and we'll post that up on 202 Friends, I hope. Well, this was a lot of fun, guys. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. you guys yeah. coming Thank you. in here. Thank you so much, Ron and Fez. And uh, it was. And Debbie. And Debbie. Yes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, HTG, it's, it's her book club. Thank well, you guys bravo. for showing up for it. Otherwise, it'd just be me. <laughs> just <laughs> you, all by yourself, just writing book? things. Debbie, what's the next book? On your Facebook. That's up to Albert. We're really <laughs> going to see oh, if he's going to. Do another one. All right. Uh, we'll be right back. It's the Run and Fest show. Look.
That is our buddy Mike Zito. Uh, Hicks, what's the story on the new album and where he's going to be playing on Monday? He's going to be playing at the Best Buy Theater on Monday, and the new album is Greyhound. You can pre-order it now on Amazon.com. Our buddy Mike Zito. The Best Buy Theater is right there in Times Square? Yeah. Mike Zito, lighting the world on fire. Hell yeah. Alone Mike up. Zito taking no prisoners. Fuck no. Mike Zito, well, I don't have to keep giving him like things <laughs> like that. He knows what he's doing. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining in with the uh, 2030 Albert Brooks Club. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun. It was. I never really have any conversations with other people about books. You've never done that in your life? Um, I think the last time I did it was maybe like, it was like at least eight or nine years ago when Choke came out with Chuck Palahniuk's book, Choke. Oh, yeah. Because someone put me on to it. was like, you like Fight Club, right? I'm like, yeah, so you read this. And that's like one other guy I talked about. Like, this is the shit. You still read the Palahniuk stuff? I think the last one I ever was Diary. That was like six, five years ago. I never have read a Palahniuk book and not enjoyed it, though. Oh, yeah. They've all, they've all been good. I don't know what it is about the, his style, but I'm always like... Um, but no, I'm like you. And I, I'm not always like this with a movie that I feel like to have to talk about it, but a book I love to have somebody that you could fucking call up and start either yelling about or <laughs> telling them they got it wrong or agreeing with. We were all kind of agreeable here. Well, Brooks was on top of it. Well, we were trying not to give away anything, too. Yeah, yeah, we didn't want to, no spoiler alerts. Uh, you know what I was a little sad about? I know Tommy Henderson listened to the book. I was waiting for him to do the jump. Too uncomfortable, Tommy? It was It was too uncomfortable. I, it, because I was nervous that it was such a good conversation going on that I would say something really stupid and take it right away from 2030 and any discussion that was going on. All right, let's just act like we're sitting here and you jump in. And now you don't have the pressure of the room being full with people. Was that nerve-wracking for you, too? New people looking at you? Sure, yeah, very much. And uh, I know that they didn't recognize you immediately, too, and that kind of... And I gave you the name tag. That could have helped. Um, it's weird, too, because well, just quickly on that part, you know, where... I introduce myself to everybody, yeah. and then someone says, who's that? Right. And then I immediately think I'm absolutely insane, because I but, did say hi to everybody. But sometimes you low talk. You're not, you know what I mean? Like, you're not putting on your old voice. Sometimes you're like, hi, I'm Tommy Henderson. You know, people miss it. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing. You don't have to take it that way. But I want you to jump in, because I know you had the book on tape. Right, yeah. Do you have the book on tape or CD? Well, a CD, but oh, I, very exciting. Wow. I call them all tape. Well, you're wrong then, Tommy. All right, so X and I will be discussing, and you just jump in when you like to. So, what character did you? Uh Relate to Hicks? Oh, Kathy, the uh, young girl in the book whose father uh, passed away. I never heard of anybody uh, that, you know, a guy that would... I kind of related to the character of Brad. And... Well, hold on, there's a conversation what? going on here, Tommy. Jesus. Oh. Sorry about that. We're talking about something you couldn't understand, book club, Kathy. Yeah. What did you bring up, Brad? What? What are you going to next do, the time warp? Is that where this is going? What are we all supposed to chant, asshole, because you said Brad? No, don't do that. It's different Brad. Hey, excuse me, but does something reek of lettuce wrap in here? There's a lettuce smell. See, that's what I worry about. It would it not have happened. Off course. It wouldn't have happened. Everybody would have been just, probably would have just started clapping that you jumped in. I want you to feel like you're part of this. Now, 
I was in a screaming match uh, moments ago with Happy Typing Girl about Poland Spring. I go, what kind of a chokehold does Poland Spring have over New York City? I know there's got to be hundreds of waters available for people, right? Oh, yeah. The, the amount of waters is crazy. If you want to buy a water on the streets of New York City, you're buying a Poland Spring. Yeah, it's 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 locked it's locking down the Northeast. Now, I go. Why would it? Why is Poland Spring it at all? No one can taste the difference in these waters. Happy Typing Girl or Debbie, as she's called in her book club, says <laughs> she can tell the difference between water. Oh bullshit! And I say, stop bullshitting a bullshitter. You can't tell the difference. And I'm not even saying tap. I'm saying I don't think you could tell the difference between waters. Yeah, uh, I, I I'm not saying I could identify. You know, you, you could blindfold me and and you give me three cups that. and I'll pick the Poland Spring, but they taste different to me, and how, I will enjoy. But if you couldn't tell blindfold it, how why how do you think that you know the difference? You can you can tell that you like one better than the other, but I don't know if I would be able to say that's the Poland Spring. Well, one of the things that makes the difference is the the bottle and the plastic. If you pour it into a glass, that taste will start, the taste starts to change a little bit. So you just like the d- taste of Poland Spring cl- plastic. Well, there are a lot of cheaper brands that use cheaper plastic, and you can taste the plastic more. All right, so let's get this straight. All the water tastes the same. No. The packaging is different. No, there's... All right, this is really going to be really weird. This and ghetto Please, water. someone call them back. <laughs> no one's going to call them back Some you up. water is silkier tasting like almost a little greasy tasting no some water water is water almost a metallic-y taste to it no water is not water i'm telling you they taste different now i remember when i was a kid uh the water in the city of philadelphia used to actually stink and you would go there and it didn't stink because there was something wrong with it but they i guess they needed so many things to purify it that those things start to stink it was the kind of water that would, if it ran in the sprinkler, it would orange up a wall. Oh, I don't know what was in there. We used to call it zinc, but I don't know whether that was true or not. Well, every city's water is a little different, and if you move to a new city and you drink the tap water, sometimes you know your body's not used to it, and you can get sick from it. I won't. I will. I seriously, I could drink out of a puddle. If I go to I Boston, it. I have to drink bottled water. I'm not making that up. Yeah. I don't think I could get sick from drinking bad water. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with tap water in any state. It's all there's delicious. Nothing, there's nothing wrong it's with better it. better than Poland Spring. <laughs> I think everybody is... I'm not saying that you're wasting your money. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying <laughs> don't act like you could tell one water from the other. I'll do a blind t- taste test anytime. Uh, Blad, Brooklyn. Vlad, not Vlad, but whatever. Vlad. Vlad, I don't believe you right <laughs> oh, I believe him. He's telling the truth. And, you know, I, I always said Evian, and now I'm hearing everyone else say Avian. I always said Evian. Like a, Evian. Like a I said Evian, like with a big E. What did you say? Evian. And now what are they saying? Avian? Like a bird. I always said Avian. I don't even see it around anymore. All I'm saying is just fucking crates and crates of Bowling Spring. Yeah, Avi- wherever I look. They smell like the fucking high-end one I always felt. And now, yeah, it's fucking, it. it's done. Fiji's just replaced it in high-end oh, one. I don't like Fiji. 
Tim, you're on the Run and Fez show. Hey, uh, Penn and Teller did an experiment with Justice on their show Bullshit, where they went to a fancy restaurant in L.A. and faked a water steward. Uh, and they said, you know, we have water from all over the world. This is from Fiji. This is from South America. And it was all L.A. tap water. And people were like, oh, yeah, I can really taste the, the metallic part of this one, or this one tastes different. I totally believe that there are psychological influences. And so, you know, even as mu- even the colors of the label, I believe, will kind of have an effect on what it feels like it tastes like So here. now it's your time to beat that, beat the packaging, and just say... Water is water. I don't know. Drink your water. Doesn't taste good to me. Evian is like an acceptable second choice, but I'm not thrilled. Evian, 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 Evian. Evian sounds like it's Greg Evian from BJ and the Bear. Uh, Here's Noah in Florida. You're on Ronnie Fez. Hey, Ronnie B. You sound like a million bucks. Thank you, my friend. Hey, just a quick thing. I'll tell you the truth. If you look at the back of a Dasani bottle, what it is is it's bottled out of the tap water of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And what they do is a reverse osmosis on the water, and that's why it has the silky taste. Now, if you get an avian or some of the other actual spring waters, they have high mineral content, and that's why they make them taste like dirt or it's a harder feel in your mouth. So, in essence, there really is no minerals in a, a water like a Dasani because it's the reverse osmosis. It takes everything out except for the H2 and the L. That's it. Now, how do you know so much about water? I live in Florida, man. What are you, crazy? You live here. There's water everywhere. Yeah, I know. You're surrounded by water down there, but you walk down the street at night and the sprinkler stinks so bad, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's, I swear to God. And I guess you're not supposed to drink that sprinkler water, right, Fez? Uh, they, they call it bum piss. They go, careful, don't let, don't let the bum piss get on you. Well water. I hate Dasani. Uh, but see, I like well water. Not just that well water is good to me. But my parents have a well, and there's like even like an iron taste to it. I fucking love it. it. Tastes like you're drinking rocks, like liquid rocks. Here is the here's John, John in Connecticut. You're around fest. Ronnie B. Yeah, I completely agree with the wolf. I mean, straight up, I can't stand anything except for Poland Spring. And by the way, it's pronounced Evian. I worked for one of their. Uh, guys for a little while oh, bullshit and i don't like heavy on at all i think it tastes like crap but there's different mineral content to the water it's it's spring water i mean some of the dasani stuff that's all filtered water but there's a huge difference to me water is water 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 what are you going to do about it the it's just water <laughs> it tastes different all the bottled waters taste the same to me the only thing i think i could tell the difference if it was like hose water no, you don't. Even, I love hose water. You don't. I'll even, fucking drink out of a hot hose so it burns oh, my tongue. That's wow, the most good. disgusting and memorable. I can remember exactly what overly <laughs> heated hose water tastes yeah, like. That first though. hit. That first fucking hit. It's like someone poured hot tea on your tongue in the middle <laughs> of the summer. But then the other thing is like you'd be sitting there drinking a fucking hose and like some kid will go, you know, spiders crawl in there. Like a fucking spiders crawl in your mom. Who do I care? I'll go down on her toe. Stop acting like we're fucking afraid of spiders. But you can taste the material the hose is made yeah, out of. Yeah, it's tasty. No, it really yes, isn't. Yes, it's like, I call it hosey fresh. <laughs> Here's, hey, Duckface, you're on the Ronnie Fez show. Hey, Ronnie B, BAC 4686. Oh, boy, that's old school. Hoo-ah, hoo-ah, hoo-ah. Hey, listen, I'm in the water filtration business, and uh, Debbie's right. 
the bottled water, it, it depends on what they take out of it, and actually some of them do put minerals back in for different tastes, so they're aware of it. I, I can tell a difference, too, but um, well water is the best water you can get as long as it's treated right, you know, and what you're talking about coming out in Florida, that's iron. That's straight-up iron. Um, but now people are moving towards, like, a whole house filter for city water because city water is pretty the same across the country except for how much chlorine is in it. And so there's a company called H2O.com that sells filters that, that goes right on the line. Let me let me tell you something, and I've heard this a million times since I moved to New York. New York City's got the greatest drinking water in the world. Yeah, you know why? Because they don't chlorinate it. They will New York City's one of the one of the few that doesn't chlorinate. Everybody, it's the coldest. yeah, everybody makes a big deal like we've got the great. Never buy a bottle of water, Ron. This is the greatest drinking water in the world. Now here's the thing: people are worried about a fucking hose, right? Like when mm-hmm. you're a kid, you're like, oh, I don't want to drink out of a spider hose. <laughs> what do you think crawls around in those fucking pipes under fucking ground? But you don't have to taste the hose. You but take a shower in it. But New York water, when you turn on that tap and let it run a few seconds, it gets colder than anywhere else I've ever lived. And I, and I, they say it's, I think, because that, of all the rock under... You realize there. I was raised in Nome, Alaska. Is it cold there? Yeah, it's cold Alaska. You didn't get that part of it? Is the water cold? Yeah, it's very Maybe cold. Maybe it's warm underground, because they say snow keeps the ground warmer. Uh, Jeremy, you're on my face. Hey, Ronnie, I just wanted to say that I absolutely agree with HBG. You can taste the difference in the water, and I think a lot of it, like the other guys have said, it depends on where it comes from, because the different minerals and whatnot, I think that has a lot to do with it. Let me tell you, anytime you see someone turning down a water, they ain't <laughs> fucking thirsty. Because you'll never fucking see a cowboy in a movie going like this. Wait a minute, where's this water from? He'll fucking get down on his, put his face in a goddamn mud puddle and start drinking. But you're also not going to see a cowboy drinking out of a square bottle. That just, that's just ridiculous. If he's thirsty enough, he'll fucking drink out of anything. What's, which one is square? Fiji. I don't even know if I know that fucking square bottle thing. It's kind of like a rectangle. Yeah. Oh, okay, rectangle, sure. That's what well, then, you know what? You ought to get married because they do that. Here's uh, Seamus. You're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ron. Hey, Fez. Uh, Consumer Reports magazine used to do a uh, test on bottled water from uh, day to day, and New York City tap water won every time. See, every there you time. go. I, f- I hear this from people constantly. All my neighbors would be like this. Welcome to the building. I'm like, hey, they go like this. You like that water up there? That's the best water in the whole country. I go, you know what? I only come out here to smoke a cigar. I don't want to fucking talk about water every time I stand out front. All my neighbors want to talk about water all the time. You like that water? I like the tap water. But you can't get tap water when you're walking down the street. Well, you get a fucking tap water down this thing here. You never will. You come back with a dollar pole in the spring. It's better in the bottle. I would rather drink water out of a bottle than out of a glass every time. Um... You know that woman who, uh, she used to do, she's like, um, she did the movie review show we used to have her on. Alison Bales. Beautiful Alison Bales. They tried to bring her fucking water. She was like pissed. She goes, no, I'll never drink out of that. I have my own bottle, my own glass bottle. Oh, yeah. Take that down and fill it up with tap water. She fucking seriously laid out the intern. I was so proud of her. And I go like this, put my water in a bottle too. And he goes, where am I supposed to get the bottle? <laughs> I go from my bottle place. And I fucking grab my, just go get me a fucking bottle anywhere. Fill it up and go like this. Here, I have to do this for you every day, Ron. 
It's very responsible. It's very good for the environment. I'm not quite there yet. Let me just tell you something, HTG. I lie to women. That's my thing. So don't think that I don't know what I'm doing if a woman comes in here. I know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> but now, see, this is the beauty of the pollen spring. Smaller cap equals less plastic. Oh, please. Yeah, give me that before someone chews on it. But then I dropped my cap on the sidewalk yesterday, forgot I dropped it, put it back on the bottle, and drank from the bottle. I may as well have licked the sidewalk. You probably did. Fez, I never see you drink a bottle of waters. You're not a big drinker, are you, of water? Now, uh, I drink a lot of water at home. No one believes you. Or else we'd see you drinking here. You used to be a soda drinker. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've moved to uh, I moved to seltzer waters. Um, let's go over here to Will. Will, you're on the Run and Fez show. Hey, Ron. I did a uh, a report where what I name did I call him research. by the way? I'm sorry. I Hi. had to compile research for this bottled water thing, and one of the biggest factors is not just where the water comes from or how it's filtered, but the bottle that's in. Um, a lot of times when it sits on the shelf and it's getting hit with the light. It cooks that plastic back into the water, and you're actually tasting um, parts of the BHP, uh, which is a chemical which is leaking back into the water, which they're trying to ban right now. They say it's uh, it's not technically cancerous, but they they're not 100 percent sure. But they shouldn't give it to kids. It's a great slogan. We're not <laughs> technically cancerous, although we do taste like old cigarette butts. <laughs> Mike, you're on Fez. Hey, Ronnie B. Yeah, I got. Two things for you. One, nothing beats Philly tap water. Number two, Avion spelled backwards spells naive. See ya. Ah. <laughs> what does Poland Spring spell backwards? Gnerps Denalop. Gnerps Denalop. Take that, caller. <laughs> uh, how did you go and buy five types of water so quickly? I went down to, to Dwayne Reed. How did he do it so quick? He's quick. I blindfold. Put this oh, up I, know, I already, I already got him on. in numbered cups. Don't worry about it. She doesn't need to blindfold. I, I'm telling you, in cups, it's going to be... It's go with be, the fucking bit. Seriously, go with the bit. You know what? I'm a cynic, and I think I'm being conned. He's got, he didn't get to Dwayne Reed that quick. He got to the water fountain. You can trust... <laughs> he's going to give me five cups of water fountain water. You can trust Hicks. Water. Um, block, block. I'm a chicken. Walk, walk. What? There's one person who knows what I mean by that when I'm dropping that. Uh, Patrick, you're on the Ron and Fez show. Hey, guys. We're at a point where uh, our water is more expensive than our gasoline. And it's because we let these companies go into freshwater lakes in Maine, companies like Nestle and Coca-Cola, take over freshwater lakes in Maine and Florida, and pump out all the fresh drinking water because we're convinced that somehow one bottle's worth $2, one bottle's worth a dollar. When you can Shit. take that tap water and filter it, put an aluminum bottle, and it's free, and it tastes the same. But we can, we're convinced that there's a different taste to it. It's not the same. <laughs> Alright. Um, <laughs> here's uh, Pony Boy. Yeah, You're on my yeah, you guys may have already gone over this, but uh, Evian spelled backwards is naive. Oh, God. Please stop doing the same fucking call that just happened. But uh, I, I, I want to get out of the way again. I just want to put it out there that I do acknowledge that the bottle makes a difference. The bottle that it's in makes a difference. Don, you're on my face. 
Hey guys, on the subject of bottled water, if you get a chance, it's about an hour and a half long. A documentary called Tapped. Oh, I love Spinal Tap. I met her on Sunday. Was my lucky bond day. You know what I mean. Uh, just pick your favorites. You don't have to pick the ones that you want. Just pick your favorites. All right. T-Bone, you run over and pick your favorites with her. Because she's dragging her... She's seriously dragging her fucking feet through this bit. One's nice and cold. Two over one so far. So far, my favorite. Three, two, one. Three, two, one. Not crazy about four. Four's in last place. Four's in, uh, yeah, somewhere. Three, two, one, four. Eye doctor. It's all splendid. Five. Uh, didn't even bother to make it cold. It's terrible. So all right. Temperature matters. Three, number one, two, number two, one, number three, four was number four, and five. Five is number it's, five. It's, because of the temperature, it's kind of, uh, it's hard to tell. Fez, write yours down. Why don't you just tell us what they are? Uh, two was my favorite. Five was my least favorite. And the other ones, we have five altogether. So I would go <laughs> two, three, one, four, five. Mm. Same way as your birthdays went. All right, so let's look at the list here. Um, did we have anything that kind of come off? Did who won both of their lists? Who was number? They each had number two as their favorite. I had three. No, no, they each had they each had two and three as the top two brands just switched. Okay, what are the top two brands there? Uh, the top br- three is Dasani water. Oh shit! <laughs> oh shit! Sugar water. I hate their bottle though, so it doesn't matter. It does matter. Two is Fiji. Oh. Oh. oh, God. One is Aquafina. Oh. oh, my least favorites made it on. This is humiliating. <laughs> four, Poland Spring. Ah. I think I said I'm not sure where four falls in. I think you put it four. You said I'm not. I don't well, like I this at all. Really? And yeah. five was the tap. It was a little different temperature because it just wouldn't come out cold. It's terrible. You to go with it. Yeah, fucked up the tap. And tap is pro- it, probably, I like tap better than most of the other ones normally, but, tap, you know, if tap, it's not tap, cold. Tap, 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 oh, tap, tap. I know this. You don't give two shits about Poland Springs. It's, uh, I am perfectly willing to say that it's the bottle shape and all that that makes me like it better I'm going to tell you something uh, right now. I guarantee you. Someday you're going to hear something weird about Poland Springs in the city of New York. And I'm not making any accusations. Mm. But nobody could have a stranglehold over a town the way Poland Springs does here. The biggest fucking city in America and there's only one brand of water to buy on the street. So I drink, baby. Should have got some smart water, too. That's electrolytes. Yeah, but then they find out all that stuff is like dr- drinking ice cream. It's all much bullshit. I think I like three the best because it was the coldest. You just like to drink cold. I like a cold, cold water. Remember when I won the cereal contest? 
California, home of the doors. Ian. Oh, he's just rubbing it in. Rubbing it in, bringing in the bottle, bringing in the number. Andy, we, we got you, buddy. Damn, he said he writes a newsletter for water. I would have loved to know that. Fuck, I want to sign up. Tony, you're on the Run of Fez show. It's cold. Hey, boys. Bowling uh, Spring is brought up from five different uh, springs around the state of Maine. Yeah. And I live on one of them. I live in Poland Spring, and I wash my nuts with Poland Spring water every day. Mm, nice. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, let's go over here to Leo. Leo, you're on a fez. Hey, Ronnie, listen, I bet you that nobody in that room up there has ever drank spring water that came out of the ground. If you drink real spring, I live in Mountains in North Carolina, and we drink spring water, and it comes out of the ground, and it comes off the rocks. And I promise you that tastes better than any I'm telling you right now, you'd lose money on that uh, bet because me and my friends would hike to this place called Flat Rock. It was just called Flat Rock. You go into the woods and we'd come up out of the ground and we would get down on our hands and knees and suck it out of the ground like little fucking animals. <laughs> and we're all like this. And then you'd go down and they had a swing over these waterfalls. It's right there in Aston, Pennsylvania. Oh, badass. Well, maybe that's considered Brookhaven there. I'm not exactly sure. There could be a debatable place where Flat Rock is. I'm into a spring. I got a picture of uh, me standing in a spring out in Colorado. Do you drink out of the ground? Straight out of the ground? No, I didn't. Then, then that's not what you're talking about. I know. No, if you're not going to do it, you're not going to do it. Mike I wouldn't did. even take Mike a cup did, out I there. didn't. I was afraid. Uh, Lucas in Chicago. Ronnie, have you ever had uh, ice cubes from like a, an uh, ice maker and refrigerator make your water taste like shit? Yeah. Um, yeah, of course that can happen. If you got fucking, you know, those things like, oh, my freezer makes the ice cubes itself. Is that right? You want it to fucking run through your refrigerator like this? It's disgusting. Through that little tube? Unless you have one of those like really fancy ice machines that's disgusting. A bump, 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 bump. Uh, here's Alex. You're on Run Fez. Hey, what's going on? Yeah. Hey, Ryan, when you're outside and you're hot, you're thirsty, and you're you're dying for the thirst. You're gonna drink. Uh, are you gonna drink temp room temperature water or cold water? I want it so cold it's gonna make my eyeball hurt. <laughs> yeah. You want it cold? Yeah, I want to feel like I just got kicked in the eye, but with a fucking jack boot. Cryogenic water. I'm not sitting around drinking warm shit like the British. Why don't you sit down and have a piss warm Coke? As cold as you can get it. it. When you can get a bottle that feels so cold you can't believe it hasn't frozen, that's perfect. But don't you think the glass is colder than the plastic? Because you like the know. plastic. There's not a lot of glass. You can't get glass bottles most places, but that's a good point. But, but then you can't put the glass in the freezer. 
No, it's ridiculous. Even when people try to frost mugs, you're like, stop wasting my fucking time with your creepy fucking frosted mug. Take your bottle of Poland Spring, though, put it in the freezer just for a little while, not too long, until just sort of parts of it freeze and you're drinking it and the ice is swirling around in there and it'll be the best bottle of water you ever had. You ought to do like a a Food Network show for retarded people (laughs) who just... Like to have cold water. What do you? You actually feel like you're sitting on here lecturing us that if you keep the bottle in the freezer for a while and then drink it, it's good. What I like yes. to do is freeze the whole bottle and take it with you along your day as it slowly melts. I like to take a napkin or mopine and move the food particles away from my lips. Tell me more, uh, Blake in Wisconsin. You're in fez. Yeah, hi. I'm calling from Racine, Wisconsin. Our tap water was voted the best in the nation. It's taken right from Lake Michigan. It's quite uh-huh. nice. Let me ask you my this. Dog, and then you feel safe going out at night in Racine, Wisconsin? What's that? You feel safe at night going out in Racine, Wisconsin? Oh, no, because, no, well, I'm armed. So I saw okay. a fucking midway collapse when those motherfuckers went running up and down through the fucking carnival when I was a kid. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's here. Yeah. Yeah, our... Uh, our minority population is as high as our unemployment. But I don't even uh, want to bring that up. I didn't, I didn't make the, the thing. All I'm saying is this. I ain't fucking chasing that stuffed dog down the midway. What happens once I fucking ca- catch him? Fuck you. I quit first. You're the ones who told us to fucking set up here. Anyway, to make a long story short, everything worked out for everybody. Oh, so everybody was good. It's like chasing a hat after it blows off your head. You just What's that can't. supposed to mean? You can't do it. You just got to let it go. Buy a new one. I don't know. All right, here's somebody who wrote NHDG. You've got cancer risk from freezing plastic bottles. What? Look, do what? me a favor. Don't use this show as a mouthpiece to fucking spread cancer <laughs> from one ocean to the other. I'm sorry. It's cancer talk. What, CT, no, do we know hey, you're on Cancer Talk. What would you like? Cancer. Bowel cancer? <laughs> Is there any left? Take a frozen uh, bottle of water, put it up your asshole. I'm going to check what Wikipedia thinks about this. By the way, I found out the other day, Wikipedia is a real person. Just one fucking dude writing shit up. All it's right. like a blog. If you type in frozen plastic bottles, what, you know that auto-complete your search comes uh, up, cause cancer. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. I'm sorry. Don't freeze your plastic bottles, please. Wait. First result that comes up is Snopes. So I don't know. Well, now so I Snopes don't know. Say. They say it's true. You just don't see the world. <laughs> yeah, sometimes Snopes says shit happens. Yeah. Really? I've yeah. never seen that happen. But apparently you don't go around Snopes very much. Snope. <laughs> uh, Mike, you're on What's up, Mr. B? Um, I'm over here drinking a triple X vitamin water, and I'm looking at the label, and there's blueberries, but it's also there with the kai and pomegranate, which is further proof that blueberries are not a standalone water fruit either. Tom, how does that make you feel? Ah, uh, sad. Why? Depressed. Why, buddy? Because it was uh, something that came up in the past that uh, has derailed the conversation. Mm. When everyone was talking about water and bottle what, cancer. What would you like to say to the listeners, to the callers in particular? Yes. I'm sorry I made st- that mistake. So your your way of fucking stopping this thing was is by saying I'm sorry.
Yeah, I should have never. It was stupid. I should have never brought it up. Well, I'm sure that now that they know that it bothers you, they'll never do it again. You see where I'm going here, Hicks? I got you. It's like saying to a fucking rabid dog, I'm afraid of you. I am. I'm afraid of you. You got to roll up a fucking Entertainment Weekly and wrap that dog on a fucking wet nose with it. Show his boss. I have great news. What is it? It doesn't cause cancer. What's it? Who knows? Dr. Rolf Halden from John Hopkins says it's an urban legend. There's no dioxins in plastics, and freezing works against the release of chemicals. <sighs> <laughs> Let's rock some more canned water. <laughs> Bullshit. Wait, why don't they have canned water? Canned water causes cancer. All cancer comes from cans. I think they do on airplanes. I think you can get a can of... Yes, that's when they said, would you like a can, sir? <laughs> would you like that here in the can? Sir. No, wait, I messed that up totally. No, that's okay. You're, you did very good with Book Club today. Would you like that in the can, sir, is the joke. Yeah. Mm -hmm. we all saw up in the air. And then Chevy Chase says, no thanks, I'll have it right here. Here's Ken, you're on Run of Fez. Hey, guys. Hey, Ronnie, read the back of a Dasani water bottle. You'll see that the water comes from the uh, Schuylkill River. HTG's <laughs> hey, favorite water. You love you it. On the from the Schuylkill River. You did? On the river? Well, right next to it. Well, let's fucking, you know, did you have a nice view or what? Yeah. Where'd you live? Wissahickon Creek? Oh, right in Philly. I know. But you know where Wissahickon is, right? Sure. I don't think in you do. Crick. I don't think you do. She knows very little about Philly. I've seen signs. Then she says to me, she goes, I've never even heard a Philly accent before. I did oh, say that. God. I lived in Philly for three years and never noticed. Then that she there said was a Philly her, her favorite fucking hoagie was Subway. <laughs> I did not say that. Love a hoagie. This is depressing. By the way, what was that Woody Allen movie that everybody loves so much? The latest one? Midnight in Paris? Yeah. Well, right now, Kathleen from the Bronx is doing a thing she calls Midnight in Philly, where she goes back in time. She runs into Larry Boa. She <laughs> sees, Seriously, she does. She goes back there, and she talks to Sally Starr and just has the fucking time of her life. Gene London comes by from Cartoon Corner's general store. And that's where she is. It's Midnight in Philly for her. That's really romantic and it beautiful. Is. And she said she had... Um, Scrapple with Bernie Prant late last night. I don't know how she's doing it. It's magical. Yeah. I guess it is. I don't know why she didn't call him for book club. Every person in the book club asked. Everybody said, you know, we were hoping to hear from Kathleen from the Bronx. You know what she wrote to me? What? Walk, walk. That's ah. why I did that block, block joke. That you're like, what? How oh, dare you, sir? How? how could she? How dare you, sir? Walk, walk. She's no me. chicken. I feel bad because I wanted fucking Tom to jump back in. We're at the end of the show. You know what? We're going to take a weekend off and regroup. Uh, you've got a chance to win a signed Albert Brooks that I believe is going to be worth within 10 years. One million dollars. Oh, yeah. It's a safe bet. Thank you for letting us do book club. It was a lot of fun. Don't just thank me. 
Thank Pepper Hicks for putting together a beautiful opening for you. I love that opening, and I wish that I could have a copy of my very own to listen to over and over again. It was really great. Pepper, could you put that on cassette for her <laughs> so she can listen at her house? Oh, yeah, no problem. That would be awesome. Thank you. It was really some of the best clips. I loved it. Uh, here's a spoiler alert. You watched Big Brother last night? No, I didn't see it. Oh. One of the people has already left the house. Really? Mm-hmm. Have you I'm ever saying. drank water out of the bathroom faucet? Yeah. I don't... I, Fuck no. yeah. yeah no. What do you brush your teeth no. with? You spit it out. Please. Once it's in your mouth, it's oh, in no. your mouth. Yeah. No. You know, it's like a fucking girl going, I didn't blow my spit to come out. I, think I don't care different. if you fucking lean over and let it shoot behind your ear. You still suck that dick. I don't that's what I'm thing. saying. Ladies and gentlemen, that's my point, and I'm running on that the next election. Once you got that dick in your mouth, you sucked it. I don't care what happened to the cum. You could put it in a fucking mayonnaise jar, send it to your fucking relatives back in Italy, forget about it. Save that jizz. Like it's precious. They really want it? Yeah. They, it's a fucking delicacy over there. Because the Italian women, they're different here. They don't shave their armpits. Anyway, to make a long fucking story short, you got something you want to do instead of the donk today, Hicks? Yeah, something was pulled. What is it? So I thought Tom could have the last word of the, sh of the show. Who would? Tom Henderson. Tom Henderson having the last word today? That was all I wanted to say. Satellite.